Hello, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We've got a small crew here today, just three of us. I'm your host, Brian Vitale. Joining me today, we've got Adam Vitale. Hello. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. Yep, so uh, Josh had some family matters to take care of, and George is still in the middle of moving, which, as I said last week, I empathize with because I took two weeks off myself. Oh, and also joining us here at the Nick of Time is Chow Min Wu. Oh, how's it going? I, I thought I no, I, I, I'm going to keep this in. He literally joined as I was introducing uh, the the cast for today. So yes, Chow, we are we are recording. Welcome to the cast. It is the week of Shin Megami Tensei Five. That's basically going to be the headline of this podcast. So if you're not interested, you can either skip ahead to the news or uh, you know circle back with us next week. So. Had the big embargo for the reviews and the previews, or not previews, just the reviews and the footage and all that stuff just a couple of days ago. And then the release date is on Friday. Obviously, the review for RPG site did go up, and Adam was the you know the spearhead behind that. So that is going to be basically the focus for us for this week and probably the next coming weeks as the rest of us you know, get the chance to play it ourselves, those of us who didn't have an early copy. Probably the biggest remaining release on our slate for the year, outside of, like, I guess, maybe the Pokemon remakes, but those, you know, the remakes and the kind of conscientious, uh, not conscientious, contentious art style for those. So Shin Megami Tensei is the last big hitter of the year. Hopefully we can There's also Ben Walker, but... Oh, yeah. So we will release. Yeah, we will get into End Walker... Uh, in the news section, because obviously something for that was just announced uh, yesterday at the time of recording. Uh, but with some, that will also have some impl- implications for our site when it comes to end of the year stuff, and we will get into that. So obviously, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Five. we've talked about this game in a few different contexts throughout the year. Obviously, we just don't have to dial the clock back too much to go back to when we were talking about the Nocturne remaster. Obviously, Adam and Josh were the ones that really put a lot of time and effort into covering that game. And I believe Cullen as well, even though I don't remember if he showed up on the podcast for that. Uh, All leading up into this new release that we've been waiting for. I think it was announced like four years ago. So it's been a long wait. It's, you know, a long time coming. A lot of people have been anticipating this for a good while. And finally, it's around the corner. Now, obviously, at the time this podcast goes up, the uh, if you listen to it right away, the game will not have released yet. So... Uh, Adam, I trust Adam to basically give plenty of context for a spoiler-free impression, and if we do dip into that territory, we will give you plenty of heads up. Though I do think we can get plenty of good discussion out of it without, you know, necessarily going in that direction. So, Adam, I will basically just hand it off to you. I know you've been basically like living and breathing this game for like the last three weeks. You actually had a pretty early copy and it sounded like you needed pretty much most of that time because you kind of were exhaustive about it. So uh, just take it away. Let us know about everything spoiler free that you can think of for Shin Megami Tensei 5. Yeah, so in the lead up to the release of Shin Megami Tensei 5, you know, I hang out with people who are both big fans of the series, like have played every game since the PlayStation 2 era and those who are interested in the game but don't know much about the series or of course might be more you know knowledgeable about persona and are wondering how is this like persona or not and one kind of prevailing broad 
impression that I got is that there are a lot of different expectations for Shin Megami Tensei Five in terms of what type of game it is. And also in terms of what people want out of it, you know, there are some people that hope it's maybe more like the PlayStation 2 era of games like Nocturne and Digital Devil Saga. There's maybe other people who are hoping it's more like the 3DS era, Shin Megami Tensei 4 or, or 4 Apocalypse. And so when I came around to reviewing it, writing my review, I, I decided to go a little bit more descriptive than I normally do in terms of just, you know, I wanted to kind of just describe the game. What is this game and what can you expect out of it? Um, how does it compare to other Shin Megami Tensei games? How does it... I do briefly compare it to Persona, just, you know, for people who just don't... That's their point of reference. And so if you read my review on the site, I it is a pretty descriptive review in terms of just describing... How is the game structured? What are the characters like? How are their how are their what is their presence in the game? Because that varies a lot from title to title, and so um, that's how I approached writing my review. But what I started out with, in terms of the the, the component of the game that I think is the most uh, unique to Shin Megami Tensei Five, and what might make or break how you take to it, is its structure, because the structure of the game is frankly unlike anything atlas has ever done before like persona smt or otherwise it's a new type of game for them and i'm not talking about you know gods versus demons this the occultism science fiction order versus chaos like obviously those shimigami tensei 5 or shimigami tensei brand franchise elements are there but what is new is that it's it's sort of an open world game in a way which is new for Atlas, and I don't mean like Ubisoft style giant map that, com- that comprises of the entire game. Not quite like that. It's more like I say in my review, like semi open world. It's uh, I know some people, several people, Cullen in his own review on a different website called it more like Xenoblade, where you have kind of these bigger field areas instead I've, I've, I've that heard you roam the around term in. Wide linear, what used before for games like Xenoblade yeah. and like Final Fantasy Twelve. Yep, it's more like that. And frankly, a lot of RPGs, Japanese RPGs, have been kind of um, going in this direction where it's like, rather than using, you know, a world map with maybe, you know, separated towns and dungeons, it's more like explorable zones. Um, Tales of Arise is sort of like that, where it's still more paths than open world, but, you know, some of those zones are pretty, pretty sizable compared to, you know, older games that have like a world map you know, you're, it's like stylized where you're giants walking on the map and you kind of enter a dungeon from there or whatever. So this is new territory for Atlas, to be honest. They've no Persona game, no SMT game, no other franchise of theirs, Etrian Odyssey, of course, or anything, have really used this structure. So I literally like, kind of start out my review saying Atlas has never made a game like this before. And that's sort of what I meant, is that... They haven't had this sort of focus in terms of this exploration, openish world. So starting out in the game. Well, I just want to say before you describe it, like the the fact that you decided to take that tact with your review and basically spend a, a larger proportion of the review being just more descriptive and explanatory that you can you kind of just basically gave two reasons to do that. One, not many people are or not as many people are familiar with Shin Megami Tensei. Not really because they're its own their own fault. Like Nocturne was two thousand three, and then if people skipped the DS and they missed four, you know what I mean. Um, 
And so people who are younger, this might be their first actual chance to play a SMT game due to the infrequency of the release. And then on top of that, even if they have played an SMT game, this one is not like those, at least in the in the design of the, of the world. So it makes perfect sense to say, like, all right, I have to take a little bit of time to just explain what the game is before I can just start, you know, actually critiquing it. Yeah, and especially because it is, even if you are familiar with the series or Persona, it's the fact that this structure is different enough from anything else. Like, I wanted to emphasize that this is something that you should be aware of if you're interested in this game, is that this is what it is like. And I definitely know people who are sort of uh, adverse to open world, like, game design trappings. You know, things like waypoints on maps and, uh, you know, like Ubisoft style climb up a tower and, and unlock a portion of the map which smp5 <laughs> does have something sort of like that. i was gonna say like does it do this yes. okay sort of it's not quite like that but it's sort of like that and i'll get to it in a moment so that's why i started with it just like this is different and i even say in my review this might sound great to you this might sound terrible like why did smt do this um it sounds like it seems like from the reception that it got in terms of reviews, you know, it's most review, it's reviewed pretty well. It's like in the, I know it's Metascore was like in the mid to high 80s, which is, I think, one of the highest in this series. I believe SMT4 was low 80s. So it's like people seem to have taken to it in terms of the review uh, uh, feedback. But, anyways, so the game itself, how it starts out is, uh, and if you've watched any of the trailers, you've kind of seen this, is that you are a Japanese high school student. The one thing about Shimagami Tensei, of course, is that it always takes place, on uh, the main line anyway, takes place in Japan, usually in Tokyo. And um, so people were wondering, it sort of looks like Persona. You're a Japanese high school student, kind of similar designs. It's a different character designer. Um, you have a group of classmates that you know um, with the game. You're, you're a silent protagonist, just like you know, just like Persona and most SMT games, of course. And early on in the game, you witness a murder from a mysterious, you know, someone was killed, like, in the, like on Persona the way from... Four. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> on the way home from school. And then you decide to take a different route home because the route you normally take home is basically blocked by a murder scene. So you go kind of in this sort of, I forget what it's called, like an underpass area. And in this underpass, and you, this was like in the original like teaser trailer, even way back when, four years ago. Thing, it, it feels like an earthquake. Something happens, and you don't know what's happening. You kind of black out for a moment. Your character does, and then you wake up, and Tokyo is destroyed. It's a sandy, barren, ruined, apocalyptic wasteland, and you're roaming around the wasteland. You're like, "What the hell happened? I have no idea." And then all of a sudden you're attacked by a demon out of nowhere. And if you've seen the if you've seen the you know marketing for this, you're saved by a mysterious figure. He kind of looks like a cyborg sorta. And he's like, take my hand. You take his hand and you become the Nahobino, and that's the long locked bluish uh protagonist. Half human, half demon person thing. It's kinda sort of reminiscent of the demi fiend from Nocturne. Uh in some way. Uh, and from there, you basically spend, if you're a thorough person who likes to explore, who likes to, you know, be uh, exhaustive in your, in the search of your games and 
like to seek out all the quests, all the chests, all the collectibles and things like that, you can spend like eight to ten hours exploring this region of this what what they call at first the netherworld. And at that point, you think the world is destroyed and now you're in a post-apocalyptic Tokyo. And I'm not going to try to spoil anything that hasn't been shown in trailers already. So that's where it's that's where that kind of that design thing I was talking about kind of comes in is that there are really no dungeons, at least not for a while in this game. A lot of, you know, Shimigami Tensei, Persona as well, for that matter, kind of began life as dungeon crawlers where you're going through these more labyrinthian, maze-like areas, maybe with some puzzle elements here or there, and things like that. That's definitely not the case here. You're in an open, relatively open, you know, ruined Tokyo. You're running up and down sand dunes. You're running around buildings. There's a ton of broken, like, bridges and roads and uh, train lines and things like that. And in this world, there's a bunch of demons, a lot of classic SMT demons. Some of them, or many of them, are hostile. They're your enemies that you fight. There are plenty of uh, interactable NPCs as well that you can talk to. Yes, you can talk to the demons. Uh, Some of them have quests that are pretty standard sort of quest design that you might expect in these sorts of games. You know, they might have a grudge against someone else that you have to go talk to them and maybe fight them. Uh, There are some quests that want you to collect things, some quests that want you to fight things, some quests that lead to optional bosses, uh, things like that. Does Nocturne have any of those? Like, that seems kind of new to me. Nocturne does not have quests in that regard. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4 and 4 Apocalypse did. Um, So, at least if if I'm remembering correctly, they both did. But it's that sort of design is, even here, it's a little bit more... In a way, it's almost more standardized in terms of if you played RPGs before, you've seen this sort yeah, of quest Yeah, I, I, I was actually going to ask, like a very point-blank matter of fact, like does this show up like in a quest log on a list somewhere? Yeah, yep, you oh, get a quest right. log. Um, Nocturne definitely did not have these. Um, so once you do soon learn that Tokyo is not quite destroyed, and if you've seen trailers, you know that this is the case, and I'm not going to spoil exactly how it works, but you do eventually like reach the end of the first zone that you're in. You know, you can get there pretty quickly if you're just mainlining it. But like I said, if you're the type of person to explore thoroughly, let's just say eight to ten hours, maybe. I, admittedly, as I was re, as I was playing the game, I was taking a bunch of notes and going kind of, you know, being thorough, uh, taking my time. So it might not you might be able to finish it sooner than that. But once you get to the end of the first zone, some story things happen, and you realize that Tokyo is still around, and you can go back to it. And again, this isn't really a spoiler, because the trailer showed this as well. And then you sort of learn about how this is going to proceed from there. And then later in the game, you kind of revisit this destroyed world, which is known as Dot. That's D-A apostrophe A-T. They just kind of pronounce it Dot. And... um, from there, you kind of do the same thing. You're exploring a new region. There's more quests, more demons, more collectibles, more chests, things like that. And so that is the design. And it's a little bit new for Shin Megami Tensei Five. And You mentioned how they pronounce uh, Dot. That reminded me of a, a more general topic. So obviously, one of the big additions to Nocturne Remaster earlier was the addition of voice acting, which some people thought might compromise the game. You kind of talked about your impression of it 
uh, on an early episode of podcast, basically saying you thought it was pretty good, though you don't think the game needed it. What's your impression of the voice acting uh, in in Shin Megami Tensei Five? Let me put it this way. So from people who are familiar with the series, you know that how characters are handled in Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne, that's three, if you're not, if you're not familiar, and how they are handled in SMT4 is a little bit different. In three, like if you, if you just kind of look at the marketing, you see like, well, I saw there was NPC like characters that were kind of introduced and described, right? But they, their presence in the game is actually pretty minimal in a way. You, you in, in Nocturne for a bit, let me describe it here. You are the demi-fiend and you are roaming around a, pop, uh, a wasteland Tokyo again. And you run into the other characters. You kind of bump into them occasionally here and there. You, you exchange a few words. You, how characters work in SMT games is they often are the personification or the embodiment of some sort of philosophy in terms of how should the world um, be, how should the world work. I'll, I might regret what I'm going to say here, but Shin Megami Tensei, I believe, means like new world reincarnation or goddess reincarnation, something like that. I'll, I'll feel free to look up as I talk. Goddess reincarnation. So the thing is that the game has a lot to do with like the series has a lot of ideas and themes about reincarnating the world or resetting up the world again or anew or whatever. And so the characters in these games oftentimes act as sort of like philosophies in terms of how should this happen? Who should who should how like should the world be a world of anarchy? Should it be a world of order? And this is a very, very common theme that pervades the games. And in Nocturne, you kind of bump into these other characters and they sort of just, you know, share like, here's how I, here's what I think, what do you think? And you can agree or disagree with them. And that ultimately affects how the game, like how the storyline ends from there. In four, you have Walter, Jonathan, and Isabeau as sort of your, I like to call them ciphers, as sort of your representative endings or routings of the game. But in that game, unlike Nocturne, they are kind of present much more they're much more present in the game they are tagging along with you they're often each other's throats they're bickering all the time because they disagree because they have different philosophies and to answer to actually answer your question a lot of people were wondering is five more like three it's more like isolated more you know alone and you just kind of bump into them here and there is it more like four where you have characters kind of present more so throughout the game and obviously it's not going to be completely one-to-one but it's really more like three, in as I as I see it, where these other characters they you bump into them here and there, you you exchange words, you can agree or disagree a few times, and really when it comes down to it, there isn't that much like story in the game in terms of scenes, dialogue, um, you know, like character interaction, things like that. So this is where I think Persona fans. And I, I don't. I promise I don't. I'm trying not to be. I'm trying not to be disparaging here. I'm just trying to point out a difference. Is that that's really not what Shin Megami Tensei is, or at least not five and some other games in the series. You're not going to have these characters like interacting with you all the time. They are not the type of people that like you. They're going to become your friend and you want to hang out with them in real life or anything like that. They really function more as just you know a big idea of the game in terms of. Uh, again, this reincarnation idea of how the world should work. 
So to actually answer your question about voices, the voice cast in this game, and a lot of people noted the English cast when they were revealed, is that they're kind of lesser-known actors. They're not any big voice acting names in this that are covering this game. It's a lot of lesser-known actors and uh, kind of fresh face sort of voice cast. And I think they do a pretty good job, but I think it also makes sense that they didn't need to grab like big, you know, probably more expensive voice actors to, to voice the game because there really isn't that much voice acting. Not a lot. There's some, of course. Now, when you say but that there's like not a whole lot of character interaction outside of these kind of sparse moments where you, where you kind of meet up, uh, how much story is there in... This is going to sound like really generic, but how much story is there in like the overworld and maybe even like the quests you do? Like, are the quests very much like this is a video game? Do to do two of these things and I will get you thing. Like, like are the quests like meaningful in terms of like telling a small little snippet of story, or are they very much like here is something to do in the game because this is a game? Kind of. Uh, it, there's, there's there's actually a pretty good variety. I think there are a couple of quests where it's just like I am a pyro, or they're they're not called pyro jack anymore. Excuse me, I'm a jack o' lantern. I want some fire gems. Do you have some fire gems for me? And if you give them some fire gems, you win the quest. And like, okay, so there's no story there. But in each region of the game, there are like, for example, each region of the game has a pair of mutually exclusive sort of competing quests that you can do. In the first region, for example, you meet an Apsaris, who is sort of like a Hindu goddess of water or life or something. And she's like... Hey, I've been basically taking these other demons uh, into my refuge under my wing and kind of uh, letting them, you know, like I will take care of them. I will basically govern their lives and I will, um, you know, let nothing bad uh, befall them and they don't have to do anything. I'm just going to basically take care of them for as long as they exist. And then you kind of meet another demon, a Lenan. It's it's it, this is a, a a Celtic or a Gaelic term, so I might mispronounce it right or wrong. I mean, uh, Lena and she, who is basically like that. Absurus is basically being too controlling of these demons, and I want them to be free and let them make mistakes, let them be off on their own, and uh, you know more about individuality versus like it's it's basically a law versus order, or law versus chaos, order versus chaos sort of microcosm in these two quests, and you can kind of pick one side or the other to complete it. And so there's sort of these themes and ideas that happen in quests like that. Um, that it, it doesn't really, it's not really like a, a story, but sometimes you have those sort of ideas. It's, that come it's about. more like it's more like table setting or something. Yeah, there are a few right. quests later on that are maybe a little bit more um, like they kind of dig into the the mythology that the, that the uh, that these creatures are from. Like, for example, there's a pretty significant quest line later on that I don't want to get into details too much because it's uh, a little bit spoilery, to be honest. But it deals with, like, the Egyptian gods and some of their, like, relationships with each other, like Ra versus Amon and things like that. And so um, there are some things like that where it just kind of digs into the philosophy or philosophy and some where it digs into the mythology. But in terms of the actual story... It doesn't really move forward until you, like, for example, in this first area, you don't really figure out what's going on until you fight the boss at the end of it, which, like I said, might be eight hours later. So you're spending hours and hours exploring, doing quests, and the one thing I haven't mentioned yet, battling. So I mentioned in my review, where does Shin Megami Tensei V place its focus 
if it's not really on the characters, it's not it's not a character driven game. If it's not really on the narrative, and let me be clear, there is a narrative, but it's more like big ideas than you know something that's you know always in front of you and pushing things forward. But where the game really does place its focus is its combat, because you'll be fighting a lot. And the battle system in Shin Megami Tensei V is pretty much unchanged, for the most part, from previous entries. And that's the press turn system. If you've played an SMT game, you've played press turn. That's just what they call it. It's, let me, this is one of those things that actually kind of is a pet peeve of mine. Pet, uh, press turn is not the same as once more. No, Once I remember more actually, assistant. like, there was a podcast maybe six months ago where I had that, I made that confusion and you corrected me. Yeah, Once More is the Persona system, Press Turn is the, uh, is the SMT system. So what Press Turn is, it's a turn-based system. You know, on, on, the, on, on the surface, it just looks like any turn-based game. But what, what makes it unique and how it's lived, or stood the test of time is that um, when you hit an enemy's weakness, an elemental weakness... You know, that's, that's not an uncommon element of games like this. You know, enemies are weak to certain elements where you can do more damage to them. But in press turn, when you hit an enemy weakness, you get an additional turn. And where it's a little bit different from Once More is that in Once More, true to its name, the person who hit the weakness kind of can, can act again. But in press turn, it, you get an extra turn, but it kind of moves to the next person in line, the next demon that you have with you. I guess I didn't mention you recruit demons to fight with you. And so when you hit a weakness, you get an extra turn, so you can do anything with it, really. But also, when you avoid a weakness, either by blocking it because you're resistant to it or dodging, the enemy loses a turn. And same goes for you. So you can basically tip the scales in your favor, and you need to do this if you want to you know, succeed in this game, is you basically need to take advantage of this, get yourself as many extra turns as possible, and have them lose as many turns as possible by dodging and by hitting weaknesses. And all of those components are the same in 5 and as they were in Nocturne or 4 or other SMT games. And so it's a really solid system, and it works really well. It's This game is the first 3D game in quite a while, uh, not counting stuff like Tokyo Mirage Sessions or whatever. Um, How and so it's just it kind of cool. Since 4? I, I actually, well, since 4... I think four was two thousand and thirteen, something wow. like that on three DS. That long over it? Yeah, it's almost been eight years or so, something like that. I'm, I'm not looking at a date in front of me or whatever, but and then Apocalypse I think was two thousand sixteen. So it's even been five years since Apocalypse, but it, since since like a three D game in the series, because four is obviously a three DS game. You kind of just had like the portraits in front of you, um, still images, artwork. But since the 3D game, I th- you're going to have to go back to the PS2 era, uh, like uh, Raidu, uh, Raidu Kuzunoha Devil Summoner 2, which I think was 2009. Even that's not like a turn-based game, though. So if you want to go back to like turn-based 3D games, you're talking either you're probably talking Digital Devil Saga, which its own, which is its own thing, but it does have the press turn system. So that's like been 15 years since a 3D press turn system. So what I'm getting at is that. Uh, it's really cool to see, you know, all these very classic SMT demons that have been around forever, see them in HD again. Yes, I know they were in Persona 5. But to actually, like, recruit them to your team in a proper SMT game and to fight with them, they have a lot of cool animations. The music in the in the, in the the battles, there's a lot of different battle themes. A lot of it is pretty good. And, you know, that the, all the style 
that SMT has is returns in the battle system. It's really solid. And one thing that one a reputation that SMT has, if you're not familiar with it, is that it is hard as nails. And I have seen plenty of previews and reviews for this game calling it hard, challenging. Yeah, you know, it a seems tough like they, they either call it they either call it hard or they just say, "Wow, you have to grind a lot in this." Or, or whatever. Yeah, I that that grinding comment. I saw one person or one review say that it was like you had to like, like roam around the world and just refight things to grind up. And that I got to be honest, I, I don't want to be too disparaging of other people's takes on the games because they're free to their opinion. But that's almost misunderstanding the game design. Like to be honest, does, does the grinding com- comment grind your gears? Yes. Oh, sorry. So the thing with SMT is that. You don't have a set party. It's not like you get like a set of characters like Persona, where most of the characters kind of have a set of, of abilities, a, a stats, and weaknesses that don't really change throughout the game. Like Morgana in Persona Five is your wind elemental character, and so and a healer as well. So if you ever need wind or healing, you use Morgana, and so on. Like any turn-based RPG. Shimigami Tensei games, if you're not familiar, if you are familiar, this is going to sound like obvious, but if you're not, you there's like there's several hundred demons in these games, and you're going to be constantly recruiting new ones and constantly fusing new ones. A common mechanic in the game is that you take two of the demons, you basically literally mash them together to create a new one with new skills and new abilities. And so you you basically don't want to get attached to any one of them. This isn't like Pokemon where you pick your favorite and stick with them. You are constantly shuffling around your demons, your, their their abilities, their weaknesses, their strengths to basically tackle. First of all, that's just how you kind of progress through stats throughout the game anyways. Like a pixie that you gather early on in the game is he's going to fall behind inevitably no matter what you do with that pixie. Even if you train them up to level 99, they're not going to be worth it. Because their skills are going to lag, their stats are going to lag. So you're constantly fusing new demons, changing up your party, and things like that. So when you run into the boss, which is going, this is going to be inevitable. That maybe is challenging. That you that it doesn't that your team isn't well suited for, and is is you're not able to uh, take advantage to exploit press turn in your favor. What you need to do at that point is not to grind. It's to you as a team or to create a team of demons that basically counters that boss that's like all right i learned that this boss is that does a lot of fire abilities i should probably not use any demons that are weak to fire because if you if you do you're just hurting yourself you're you're making it harder for yourself and if they're weak to ice try to pick demons or try to set up your main character who's also very flexible and using ice skills and that's that's the design of smt games when it comes to combat so um, you're constantly having to like think about team coordination. You know that you know what 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 capabilities do my team have? What capabilities do I need? Another component to the battle system that is very, you know, you should be thinking about are buffs and debuffs. This isn't like Final Fantasy IV. Where we can get through the game just by attacking and healing. You have to exploit weaknesses. You want to make sure you have the capability of raising your stats and lowering the enemy stats. And from there, you can succeed in the game. Now, now does as it someone who is more familiar with the game... Go ahead, sorry. Does it does it ever get like frustrating? Like To me, I don't think this would be frustrating, if, especially if I got the mindset for it and you like contextualized it properly. 
But does it ever get frustrating? Like if you fight a boss and be like, all right, this is basically like my dry run because I don't know what I need yet. So I'm going to fight the mm -hmm. boss and probably lose. And then I'm just going to like make mental notes about what I need and then come back. Because that's sort of a different mind. Because so many RPGs these days, or games in general, are like you just kind of know what you're good at and what you're not. And if you just do what you're good mm -hmm. at, you're going to win your first try. And then usually if you fail, it's more of an execution and less of a I got to come in with a different loadout. But it seems like in Shin Megami Tensei Five, it's more it's less about it's seemingly based on your description. I didn't execute well and more like, OK, I need to come back with a different set of tools. I think I think SMT does a pretty good balance of it's not quite lock and key and like Fantasian or something where you have to have it you have to approach it in a certain way and you can sort of make a team that is maybe pretty good in a general purpose like all right I have a team that kind of covers all my elemental bases that can heal I can buff and you know they can do a pretty good job against most things but you might run into a boss where it just so happens that your setup isn't ideal. You need to specialize. And then you have you to tweak you it take a little bit. You can't just, approach. you can maybe try to brute force it in terms of, let me take my team and grind them up and do it again. But you might just be best, you know, swapping out one demon and like, all right, like, sorry, Jack Frost, you've been really useful for me, but I'm fighting a demon who is weak against, or absorbs ice and it does fire so sorry jack frost you are just holding me back in this fight so i need to swap you out so i think it does a pretty good job of balancing it out um it's it just impossible in smt to like make a general purpose team that is going to work all the time maybe at the end of the game when you can like by the at the end of the game you can like have a bunch of demons that have like uh megiddo loan or how do you pronounce it like non-elemental attacks and things like that where you can maybe just nuke everybody to death but up to that point throughout most of the game you can't really do that so yes there will be times when you run into a boss and you're like i have no idea what this boss has and you just realize oh that my current setup because remember you're like you're probably going to be swapping your team out pretty frequently so, and there's so many different varieties and so many different demons that, like when you approach the first major boss of the game or maybe i should say second major boss of the game at the end of the first region my, who I had in my team might be completely different than what you will have when you play this game in your team. So, like, I might get to him and just so happens that, oh, my team was sort of just suited well for this boss and your team wasn't. But there's just so many like different like, permutations that you can have that you're, you're, you just have to always consider it in terms of what your team can do and how you have to how you have to handle it. And to be Persona sort of has this with your main character because he can always switch around uh, his his demon or his persona or whatever. But in this game, since you can basically adjust your main character in any direction, and then your three demons that you have with you are also basically free form up to you. It's just very flexible in that regard. So it's a little bit different than like a dungeon crawler, where a dungeon crawler you usually kind of pick a team and stick with it for the most part. But in this in SMT, you definitely are not. So I think that kind of highlights the main things with SMT five. Uh, was there is there anything that I haven't said yet that you're like wondering as, as someone maybe looking forward to the game? Like what else? Is There's there? a, so you basically talked about how the combat is virtually or maybe not maybe not virtually completely unchanged in terms mm -hmm. of like what it was in uh the, the, the past entries 
maybe this gets a little bit in the weeds, but what about because when when the Nocturne remaster came out, there was some dialogue about the conveniences that it added for demon fusion in terms mm-hmm. of before there was an element of randomness to it where you kind of got what you got, which some people thought was actually kind of like uh, a kind of a nice challenging. It's not always in your hands sort of thing where some people thought this is arbitrary. I hate it. I want to have some say. How does Shin Megami Tensei five handle like that aspect, like less the combat, more the progression? So, you know, Shin Megami Tensei five is the most flexible game in the series in terms of abilities and like setting up your team as well as your main character. And maybe some people might not take well to that, but uh, I think it's uh, for the most part, probably a good decision on their part to do this. So in terms of how do you actually like change what abilities your main character, your Nahobino has, there's a system in the game called essences and essences, what they are, Every demon in the game, and there's I haven't counted, there's like more than 200. Every demon in the game has a consumable item that they can give you called an essence. Or you can find it in chests or from a quest or whatever. So like, for example, there's a Jack Frost essence or a Pixie essence or a Incubus essence or whatever. And every essence will have basically embedded within it that demon's skill set as well as their resistances. So once you get an essence you can basically fuse it with your main character. And at that point, you can basically decide, here, here are the abilities that your main character, your Nahobino, has already. And here are the abilities that the Essence has that you're basically fusing with him. Pick which ones you want to keep. So you basically pick which new abilities you want and which old ones you want to throw away. Um, and also so you can make you the perfect keep. hybrid. There's like no, no right. randomness. How do you get these exactly. Just randomly? Uh, defeating them? So there's multiple ways. There are many that you will get in chests throughout the world. They're not called chests. I forget what they're called, like amalgams or something. They're like these big, like, yellowish, like, spheroid things. And Treasure um, <laughs> Yeah, I call them chests. They're, they're functioning like chests. And uh, you can get them from those. When you're training up a demon, they might give it to you. Say you're leveling up a Jack Frost. Once he, like, reaches a... When he, when he levels up after battle... Um, oftentimes in the S&P games, they might just say a line, you know, like, I'm powerful now, or I learned a new skill. But sometimes they're like, hey, I got, I'll give you this, and they'll give you an essence that way. Sometimes you get them from quests for, like, the more, for, like, the bigger things, for, like, the bigger demons. Like, you beat him in a, a boss fight, and he's like, wow, you did good. Here's my essence, or whatever. Now, now essences um, are purely for changing attributes and strengthening the main character. They're not used in demon fusion. They are not used... Well... They're never used in fusion in that sense, even though they, it is called fusing them with your demons, but it's not part of the demon fusion system. However, so demon fusion, so you take two demons, you fuse them together, you get a new demon, and then you can pick what skills they keep um, from there, right? So that's basically how Nocturne worked, the, the remaster, I mean. Uh, it's not random, you get to pick. But essences are a little bit different in that you can actually take a demon, like a Jack Frost, and then you can find another essence. I I don't know. I don't have one off the top of my hand, top of my head. But let's just say you have an essence that has Maragidine, the high level fire skill, and you're like, I want my Jack Frost to learn Maragidine. So you can take an essence that has it, basically place it on your Jack Frost and have him learn it. So you can effectively with this system, 
have any demon learn any skill. You don't have to worry about, like, in an older game, if you want to get Maragidine on a Jack Frost, you kind of have to, like, plot out a chain of fusions to get it from one demon to the next demon to the next demon and eventually on a Jack Frost, right? This yeah. game, in this game, you can just take a Jack Frost, find an essence with the ability you want, and smack it on him. So, so it's very so, flexible. So any essence, you get a, a chest, regardless of what demon it is, you can slap it on any other demon? Yes. Oh, okay, so I, the the way you first described it, I thought you, I thought the essence system was only for your main character because maybe I'm still thinking in the persona mindset. Sorry, uh, where I always think of like the main character is the wild card one, and all right. the other ones kind of have their their archetypes. Like Jack Frost will always be an icy typer or whatever. Yeah. But I guess now the one the one there is another system in place that kind of counterbalances this to an extent, and I mentioned this in my review as well. Is that if you just take what I just said, you might think like, well, if any demon can basically do anything, then what's the point of having different demons or whatever? Um, actually, before I get to that, demon resistances and affinities cannot change um, for the most that part. Like a Jack, a Jack Frost will always be weak to fire. And, and the, in that, like when you have an essence and you smack it onto your main character, you can actually take that essence's, uh, affinities for yourself as well not the skill set but the affinities like you literally get a selection like when you when you decide to put an essence on your main character it'll literally ask you do you want to do you want to play skills like new abilities or do you want to place affinities so you got to pick one and like for example if you take the jack frost essence and place it on your main character you can if you don't want his skills but you want his affinities you can take that which i don't have it off the top of my head but you presumably makes you resistant to ice and weak to fire so it's sort of like the magatama system in three in that regard and like if you're fighting in a boss and you're like well i should change my my main character's resistances here because it's just i'm 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 weak to what he uses you basically find an essence to do that now demons cannot change their affinities in this way you can't take like a fire demon fuse it, it on its essence jack onto jack Frost. yeah now you can uh, let me let me be clear before like someone yells at me like what but 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 well, actually there are like actual like passive skills in the game like for example null fire these were these are in persona as well where like you eat up one of your skill slots with the passive skill null fire you can take essences and place that on a jack frost because uh, it's not it's technically a, a passive skill and not an affinity. It's a skill that affects an affinity. Does that make sense? It's like not I, the I, actual I, like. It's basically you're 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 mortgaging a ability slot for a passive ability to counteract their attribute. Exactly. Yeah. So you can do that. That so seems kind of in smart. a way it's you like, can. All right. Do I need do I need Jack Frost to have is it eight eight abilities or do I want to spend one to make it so that his weakness no longer matters? Exactly. Um. So the counterbalance I was getting to is this system in the game called Potentials. And this is relatively new to Shin Megami Tensei Five. And if you're playing on hard mode, for sure... Now, I only played a bit of this on hard mode, and it was also on New Game Plus, so it wasn't really hard. Um, but just to... If you're, if you're one of those people who really likes to challenge and wants to try out hard mode, you probably have to pay attention to this. Every demon has potentials for them, which is basically which elements they are good at. Or bad at so the when you have a jack frost and you look at his ice abilities you'll notice that his ice abilities will say like bufu plus 
I think it's five. I think he has a plus five potential in ice. Maybe it's four. Um, and so if you have a Jack Frost with Bufu, Bufu being the ice skill, um, his Bufu will be a plus four. Whereas if you have a Jack-O-Lantern with Bufu, his ice potential is going to be way lower than Jack Frost. So his might actually be like a minus four or something like that. And so let's say you have a Jack Frost and a Jack-O-Lantern. You know, those are pretty, pretty much opposite demons, right? You know, if you know what SMT or Persona is, you know who these are. And even if they have the same magic stat, or let's just say they have the same stats completely, if you put Bufu on both of them, the Jack Frost is going to be better with the Bufu than the Jack-O-Lantern because he has a higher ice potential. And what that means primarily is that when the Jack Frost casts Bufu, he's going to be spending far less MP doing it. I believe the actual like strength of the ability is unchanged or maybe not that big of a difference. I'm, I actually don't know for sure. But the main thing is, is the cost of the skill is way lower when you have a high potential for it. So Jack Frost casting Bufu, he'll be able to cast it many more times before he runs out of MP, whereas the Pyrojack or Jack-O-Lantern casting it, he's going to be like spending double the cost for it, which in drawn out battles is not a good thing. You're going to be wasting a lot of turns or time. Maybe you're trying to replenish MP when you do it this way. Um, same thing goes with like physical demons. There are some physical demons that when they're casting physical skills are going to be spending a lot less MP than a demon that doesn't have a good physical potential. So this, this potential system is effectively the way which demons differentiate themselves in terms of not all demons are going to be the same if you give them the same skill set. And so I think that's actually but pretty it's, smart. It's entirely um, MP, resource management. Like it's not it's strength. Pretty, or... It might have a slight effect on its strength. I actually didn't do enough like testing to to see for sure. But MP definitely is like a key factor here. Um, especially late in the game when you kind of every turn is valuable and you every bit of MP you have is valuable. You don't want to waste it unnecessarily. And actually, as an example, when I was playing this late in the game, there are plenty of pretty tough optional bosses like that are higher level than the final boss, for instance, late in the game. You know, there's even a super boss in the game who I won't spoil. Um, and I had a Sandalphon. Sandalphon is an angel. He's Metatron's brother. Um, and I had a Sandalphon who had really good stats, and I just sort of decided, let me put the support skills on Sandalphon, like Debilitate and Luster Candy. Those are pretty. Those are high-end buffing and debuffing skills in SMT games. And like I liked his stats. I liked his look. You know, he had some other abilities that were good. And I was like, let me put these. Let me let me make him my support demon. And then I realized, wait, Sandalphon doesn't have any support potential. So when he casts Debilitate, it costs 150 MP. And he only has like 450. So he can cast it like three times in a battle. And then he's out of MP and can't do anything else. Um, and especially against those longer bosses, three Debilitates or maybe two Debilitates and a Luster Candy is not going to help you very long term in that battle. And it's almost kind of worthless. But... I decided, okay, Sandalphon, you are not suited for this position. Let me switch you out with a Gabriel. And Gabriel uh, had similar stats and similar abilities to Sandalphon, but had a support potential that uh, of I, I, you can actually raise potentials. There's a, some limitations to that, but I, he has a support potential of plus five. Uh, Gabriel, uh, I gave him the same abilities. Now, when they cast Luster Candy or Debilitate, I believe it costs like 89 MP instead. Far less. 
so they can cast it far more often and they can spend other turns doing other things. And it makes a difference. It makes a big difference, especially against those harder boss fights. And so that's why I said, if you're playing this game on hard mode, this is a system that you want to pay attention to. And just even from a design perspective, I think this is just a good idea. To If you're going to make the game so flexible that you can basically place any skill on any demon, this is a good way to make it so that, like, demons aren't have, just they, interchangeable you can't just like set an optimal skill set and pretend the demon doesn't exist and they're just they're just a box of skills you know um, like, i'm it, gonna interrupt you uh do they have like healing items for mp and stuff like usually that's oh, yeah. a way to bypass that kind of problem right i mean there are healing items for mp but this is actually pretty common in smt those are very expensive um chakra drop chakra drops or chakra pots you can get those but they are expensive, so you're kind of just like don't want to waste them unless you really need them. But still, I th- I think it's a, just a pretty decent kind of balance just to make it so that you know when you're putting together your team, you can't just like oh here's an optimal skill set for a magic based demon, and it'll suit. Every- I can just place it on anything with a high magic stat. I think it's just a pretty good just like slight limitation in terms of actually having you you know you know have more considerations in place other than high magic equal good and give them good magic abilities now Um, my question is is like i'm thinking of like it's been so long since i played pokemon but they have like their inherent ability where each each like pokemon has like two uh things mm -hmm. that it can be between like passives yeah yeah is it sort of is it sort of like that where like if i if I fight and negotiate and get two Jack Frost, one might be Bufu plus three and one might be Bufu plus five or whatever. I'm pretty sure their potentials are always the same. Like any Jack Frost's potential will ah. be the same as any other Jack Frost. Um, Part of me kind of likes skills- that because it's tidy and you can kind of like really like rubric it. But there is a little mm-hmm. bit about the randomness, which is kind of nice. Like, oh, yeah, I got a, I found a great, you know, not only did I find... I sorry, a I don't have Pokemon. A, you gotta. Yeah, not only did Pokemon. I find a rare Pokemon. That's my comparison point. Since I've 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 played like Devil Survivor and Persona. That's kind of my SMT ish uh, history. Um, it's like not only did I find a rare Pokemon, but I found a rare Pokemon with, with good IVs and an excellent uh, inherent ability. And I was wondering if this would be like the same sort of feeling. Well, I guess it sort of comes into play when you're fusing a new demon. Very likely. If you fuse a Jack Frost and I fuse a Jack Frost, their skill set's not going to be exactly the same because we're probably fusing them in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of comes into play there. Um, I, know, I know maybe we got I got a little bit into the weeds there in terms of like the uh, mechanics in place, but that that essence and potential system is when you're talking about combat specifically, is where SMT Five is different from previous games. Whereas they weren't as flexible, but they didn't really have this potential system in place. So it was sort of harder to get certain skills on certain demons. And now that it's easier to get certain skills on certain demons, I think the potential is a good counterbalance to just, you know, having demons be a little bit more unique. And like I said, there was nothing I could do to Sandalfon to really make them the ideal support demon. Like you can't do anything about it. So there are just going to be some demons that are more suited for healing. Like, for example, there are some good high magic stat demons that in another game, if you slap like media on them, they'd be a good healer. But in this game, you slap media on them, they have media minus five, and they're just going to be spending way too much MP healing because they're good at attacking, but not good at healing. And I just think that's I think that's just a good idea. And it's, 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 a, it's a nice restriction in place just to make it so, you know, you have to consider more than just 
skills and stats. You actually have to d- determine or consider which demon they are on to some extent. Now, if you're playing the game on the regular difficulty, you can probably not pay too much attention to it and probably brute force your way through it a little bit. But it's one of those things that's like, hey, if you do pay attention to it, you're going to be making things easier on yourself. And you're probably going to need require that a little bit more, especially on the harder difficulties or the harder boss fights. Now, remind um, me, it has like an easy difficulty and then a free like story difficulty. Is that it? Yeah. So I so I'm playing the game before it gets its like first patch, and also before it gets any DLC. I didn't get any of the DLC. I should also probably mention there is cheat DLC. So if you're the type of person who just wants to just blitz through this game and you don't mind spending a few extra bucks to get cheat DLC. There's probably going to be a DLC where if you wanted to, you can abuse the DLC and get to level 99 at the beginning of the game. Do that. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I didn't get to do that. That's like old, <laughs> I mean, that's like old hat for Atlas games. For yeah, that's Atlas. up to you. You know, that, the DLC is there. You can cheat. Go ahead. But um, uh, there is a normal difficulty. I did play most of the game on normal difficulty. You know, I'm interested in hard, but, you know, in the review period where I kind of had to play it on a sort of a deadline and I wanted to see what the game had and I did end up replaying the game several times. You don't need to justify, like, how dare you not play it on hard. But, like, there's a normal difficulty, there's a hard difficulty, and the hard difficulty is one of those where it's like, when you set to hard, you're stuck there in the sense that it does let you go back to normal mid-game if you pick, if you want to. Like, you decide, I didn't want to do this, but you can't go back to hard. So it's sort of like uh, it's like a, an Iron Man or whatever you want to call it. I, I do kind of like that. Yeah, if you pick hard, you have to stick with it, and if you take your if you if you don't, you can't go back to it. There is a casual mode, which I did see some reviews say casual is still fairly challenging in places. Maybe if you're not as experienced with these mechanics, that's worth trying. Just to you know, if this is your first SMG game, go ahead and try casual, and you know, as you're sort of getting your feet wet. And there is going to be a DLC, I think they call it safety mode, and that's also the same for Persona games, where probably is no challenge at all and you just want to experience the story or the world, do that. So there's plenty of options for difficulty as well. I, there, I don't think there's like a, like a lunatic version. I think hard is the hardest mode. I might be wrong. Or like a merciless. I don't, I need, I, I don't remember. I know there's, there is a DLC safety mode. So it's free. That one's also free. Um, in terms of things about the game that are maybe, in terms of like my actual opinions on the game, the open world stuff, I think it's an interesting change of pace. There's something to be said for trying something new, but I am a little bit of a dungeon head. Like I, I like, I, I review several dungeon crawlers on this site. I love the Etrian Odyssey series as a first person dungeon crawler. Um, there, there is a part of me that's just a little bit disappointed that dungeons aren't very prevalent in this game. There are a few of them. I, I, I count two as, as actual dungeons. There's some other locations that you can sort of argue, yeah, that's kind of a dungeon maybe, but I count two. But even then, they're pretty basic. They're, not, they're definitely not like anything you run into in Nocturne where you have like warp tiles or, or uh, you know, other, sorts other, of puzzles. other puzzles. Or they're not very maze-like. They're kind of just corridors. Um, there's no like block puzzles or floating around different paths, like which block leads to the right direction, like as you get in, in Nocturne or Digital Devil Saga. So there is a part of me that actually is like, oh, that's a little bit disappointing. I like dungeons. I'm kind of sad they're gone, but I don't, I'm not trying to be like too critical. That's just sort of a preference of mine. I, I feel like being um, cheeky and being like, maybe you should have compared this to Breath of the Wild that I, Ubisoft gets <laughs> in terms of the lack of dungeons. 
Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, people might clown me for this, but the last region in this game actually did give me a slight Breath of the Wild vibe to it. And I know it's just like any openish world vibe to it, but uh, the last region was it kind of has its own like unique kind of style to it compared to the others. Um, that's actually another one of my criticisms is that the first three large zones in this game, I, I don't, I forget if I mentioned this in the podcast, there are, the game is effectively split into four large regions. Yeah. We, we talked about how it's three like of those, wide linear rather than true yeah, open seamless. Ex- exactly. Um, the first three of those regions, they do end up being just a bit sort of samey cause it's all like deserted Tokyo sandy dunes ruined buildings ruined bridges buildings on their sides uh kind of apocalyptic city you know which is what you expect from smt but it, it does get a little bit like like when you once you're reaching hour 30 or whatever like eh, i'm kind of seeing a lot of this already but the last zone does kind of mix things up a bit both in terms of its aesthetic as well as how it's like approached so it kind of was Right when the game needed it, like, oh, a little bit of a curveball here. Okay, that's cool. But I do think, you know, this is Atlas's kind of first go around at a game like this. So maybe there's some growing pains in terms of, you know, how to make this sort of design engaging or as engaging as it could be throughout um, the game. So that's like, not again, not like a harsh criticism, but like, you know, this is something that I, you know, I can see where this could be improved perhaps. Um, Also, uh, not to spoil anything, but the narrative of this game is very Shin Megami Tensei, but it also stays pretty classic. I was kind of wondering if it was going to do something maybe a little bit different or unique or interesting in terms of like a different take on a certain on on common SMT uh, you know concepts, but it, it it does stay pretty like true tried and true SMT. So if you're new to the series, then maybe that doesn't matter because you you haven't really experienced this before. But as someone who has played every localized SMT game, like, oh, okay, you know, it's, this is SMT. And I, 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 so I may be just very slightly disappointed that it's like, it stays so tried and true just to like SMT concepts uh, and, and ideas and how the game sort of routes itself at the end. Again, none of these criticisms are like, I gave the game a 9 out of 10, so I think pretty highly of it. But there are just a few places where I'm like, yeah, this is something that could have been cooler, perhaps. But otherwise, you know, uh, I'm really, I'm kind of happy with how this game turned out. It's a bit of a turn from where the game, where the series I think was seemed to be heading with four and, and four apocalypse. So it's just kind of neat to have something just a little bit different, something a little bit new from SMT. It's obviously been a while since we've had a game in the SMT series like on consoles it's been eight years since the four since like we said so it's it's just i think it does pretty well for itself and you'll be able to play it in a week how long did it take you to to finish um i was pretty thorough so i pretty much did everything you could do like all quests i found <laughs> i didn't mention this there are 200 little like collectibles that you can find throughout the world very open world design in that sense i found all of those um <laughs> You know, did all the did quests. Did you get anything for it, that, or just the sense of accomplishment? Well, I, there's another mechanic in place I didn't talk about, and again, I don't feel like I need to like dive into literally every single thing. But 
finding these little you find these little imp guys throughout the world. They're called memen. And they give you a, a, a resource called Glory, which you spend on miracles, which are like apps in previous Shin Megami Tensei games. I know I just threw out a lot of words there, but there is value in finding them. And you also get rewards, other rewards for finding them. So it's not just checking off a list. I mean, it is in some extent, but you are other, getting like tangible benefits that you can, like, that will actually make a difference in battle, for instance. So it's worthwhile to seek them out. But, anyways, to answer your question, it took me about 60 hours. I know uh, I was kind of talking with another reviewer for RPG Fan, actually, who played the game, and he wasn't quite as thorough as me, and he beat it in, like, 52 hours. So it seems like that's about what you're looking for if you're being relatively thorough is 50 to 60 hours or so. I'm sure you can beat it a lot quicker than that if you just sort of mainline it to the story events. But, you know, that's kind of part of the point of the game, especially later on, is to do those optional things. And some of those optional, like, boss encounters are pretty darn cool, like from a mechanical gameplay standpoint. So it's I wouldn't want to skip them. You know, you're like, you're like cheating yourself if you mainline it just for the sake of shortening like your you're hour missing, You're missing cool fights that are challenging uh, and things like that. So um, I do know some people, I've been talking with some people who are looking forward to the game and had a few questions. They're maybe a little bit disappointed that the game isn't more, doesn't seem to be more like SMT4 to them. So you know, there's something to be said for that, but I, I just think it's cool that it's like trying something different and trying something new for for for, for Atlas in general, and especially since it's been such a long wait. Um, it's it's ambitious, and you know, I'm pretty happy with it. So I know you think really highly of Nocturne. I don't remember exactly how you feel about Four and Four Apocalypse. How would you rank them? I don't think it's quite. So one thing about Nocturne that I really like about Nocturne is it's it's sort of its tonality and it's 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 style and it's um it's interesting in like a thematic way and I actually it's kind of funny Nocturne was pretty much the first localized SMT game in the West I believe right because none of the ones before that were localized I mean there's some Persona games on on PlayStation, original PlayStation that were but for true SMT games. Nocturne was the first one in English. I'm making sure I'm not like wrong. I'm pretty sure that's right, right? Um, I don't even think there's an English version of one and two. No, I mean there there was an English version of one on phones later, but not like the Super Nintendo or PlayStation versions, right? Um, or Game Boy Advance version. I forget. Anyway, um, Nocturne is actually the one S and T game where it kind of goes a little bit different in how it like routes its storyline. Nocturne is not so easily law versus chaos like a lot of the other games are. And it's kind of funny that that was the first one that we got because it's actually pretty different in that regard. And I kind of like it for that now. Um, it's a little bit more interesting to me. I like I like how like the cinematic direction in Nocturne, despite being an old PS2 game, I think it does a lot with a little in terms of you know how dialogue is presented, how camera angles are. And I kind of feel like 5 is just a little bit more plain, even though it's like higher fidelity. So it's just, you know, that's probably the one thing about Nocturne that I really like that 5 doesn't quite hit is it's not quite so interesting in terms of how it's presented, like with storyline and dialogue and cutscenes and like cinematic direction. It's just a little bit more plain. But in terms of like the game itself and polish and obviously visuals and things like that, clearly it's been 20 years almost since Nocturne this is going to have a leg up there and it's definitely more approachable. Nocturne is a kind of like a, is, is a bit of a punch you in the mouth uh, kind of game 
where this game, you know, it's still probably challenging if you're not familiar with it, but it's, it, I think it's a lot more approachable. Um, so if Nocturne, if, if you're listening, you tried Nocturne and it maybe bounced off of it, maybe you're just like, I don't have time for this. Five is definitely going to be something that you can probably ease your way into a little bit more uh, easily <laughs> by definition. So, all right, I have one last question. And you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this, and I'm being very cheeky about it. Shin Megami Tensei Five or Persona Five? Probably Shin Megami Tensei. I'm I'm a gameplay over story type of person, and just the fact that SMT games, you the player as you're playing the game, you you have to put a little bit more consideration into things like party setup, ability setup, and you know things like that versus persona where you pretty much have to set like who you're using and what what persona is on your main character that's it like so i'm just going to lean smt5 just on you know just on personal preference of the sorts of things that i'm looking for that i look for in rpgs but that's kind of the cool thing about rpgs as a genre right right as all of us know is that they're so multifaceted that there are so many different things that you can attach to in an rpg if you're the type of person who mainly plays like rpgs for the characters, like you love meeting characters and having character interactions and things like that. I'm going to be honest, SMT is probably not your thing, um, which is fine. But uh, I am a really, I'm a, I'm a mechanic, I'm a gearhead. Um, so SMT is going to be my thing. So, all right. And thank you so much for the thorough, almost entirely spoiler free kind of impressions about your review on SMT 5, Shin Megami Tensei 5, or Shin Megami Tensei 5, I think is the correct. It's Shin yeah, Megami Shin, Tensei. Obviously, it looks like the English word sh- yeah. Shin, but so yeah. apologies but, if I mispronounced it in the Japanese pronunciation. But yeah, but uh, so obviously, you have the written review up on the site, and this will not be the last time we talk about it on the podcast because obviously, in the upcoming weeks, we'll hopefully have uh, multiple people kind of going back and forth. Uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about our compared experiences fighting certain bosses, or um, we'll maybe open the door and dive into a little bit of spoiler territory. Uh, obviously, if we do do that, we would give clear and clear heads up and warning. Uh, and, and so we, we, you will probably hear more from multiple of us. And I'm interested also, and as another big fan of the series, uh, what Josh ends up thinking about it once he gets, because I know he's uh, obviously eagerly looking forward to this. That's up on the up on the website. Please give it a read. And he goes way in depth, and you know you, everything you could possibly want to know going into the game. I actually have one more thing to say. Very brief. All right. No problem. And I, I want to say this just because I teased it before, and I said I'd get to it later, and I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> there, there is a, there is a system on the world map where you run into a sort of like evil vortex called an abscess. You beat a mini boss there, and what it does is it reveals more of the map to you in a way. That's sort of the tower system I mentioned earlier that kind of makes its way into SMT5. And I know I've actually told people this and they, they, they hate it. <laughs> They're like, no, why did you do this SMT? So that's, that also exists, is that when you're exploring, you kind of fight these sort of like forced battles on the well, map. And once you do that, you kind of explore, you kind of open the world and make exploration a little easier. The fact that they make just, just another way, just another way that that sort of those open worldish trappings kind of make their way into the game. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't hate the idea. The fact that they make them battles, I like way better than just like beeline to the Finding tower icon, yeah, yeah, or whatever, <laughs> and and then just go to the next one, and then and then go back and and do the actual game. So they actually made it part of the game, especially if you say that the game focuses pretty much entirely on not entirely, but majority on combat to make that the gameplay mechanic for revealing the map just seems smart 
So as the rest of us have not had early access to Shishin Megami Tensei 5, I know other of us have been going through our backlogs. I'm still working through Tales of Arise, which I've kind of already touched on last week, so I won't really go into it again here. Uh, let's just, since there's only the four of us here, and I don't think any of us have also been working on other soon-to-release RPGs, let's just see what the other two have been playing. James, what have you been up to in this last week in terms of games you've been playing? Um, I was hoping to play Undernauts, uh, not quite, uh, should get my copy in tomorrow. Uh, it's probably going to be the first game I play on my Xbox in like a year or something like that. I'm surprised so you can find a copy. Well, Why did you I get mean, the Xbox version just because you can? Uh, because I can. And also because I, I, I've talked about this. I actually imported the Japanese switch version before. I just never got around to playing it. So it's like if I'm going to buy like a localized copy, I don't want to buy a Switch version because if I want to play it on Switch, I can read Japanese. I can just play my import that I have. And um, I don't know. I yeah, just, I mean, it, 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 it's, just, it's just chaos, Gremlin. Like this game comes out for Xbox. So I'm going to play it on Xbox because it's kind of a weird fit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, not really, because actually, like when this originally came out in Japan, it was at least for a period of a few months an Xbox One exclusive. So it's the original platform. Huh, OK. Oh, but yeah, games are like that. It's we did talk funny. briefly about how uh, last week or two weeks ago about how the PC release was like delayed at the last moment. But then got released yeah. with issues, but then re- finally patched very recently. But in the process, yeah, I'm just going to get the Xbox version. Yeah, I'm, I haven't paid attention to the like Steam forums after that patch to see if everything's fixed. But considering the bug that there was there was... And again, this has been patched. I'm not saying there are issues with the PC port now. I'm just saying that I'm understandably kind of concerned is that the one bug they had was that there was a kind of cutscene thing after you killed the first boss and you're not able to progress past that. And that seems like something that if you had done any amount of like QA testing on the game or the port, you should have caught that. Yeah. Just for context here, for those not familiar under was supposed to release at the end of October for both consoles and PC and then the PC port was delayed at like literally the last second, which is never a good sign. And then when it came out a week later, it still had these bugs. So it's so I am actually interested in this game and I want to get the PC port, but it's just like maybe I'll wait a bit. Maybe they can iron out the egregious ones. Yeah. So doesn't seem like a great PC port, unfortunately, at least at the moment. But yeah, so um I should be playing that next week. So uh look forward to uh my thoughts then, I guess. But um On the flip side, what I did play this week, which technically isn't even out yet, if you're going by what Microsoft is saying, though it's totally out yet, uh, Forza Horizon 5. If you either bought the premium edition, which was like the $100 version that came with all the DLC and whatnot, or if you paid for, and this is new, there's a premium add-on pack for Game Pass subscribers. So if you have Game Pass, you can actually pay for like all the DLC ahead of time and still get the early access because if you got the early access through either that add-on pack or the premium edition, you could start playing it yesterday. But That's it's kind of interesting technic- because uh, normally, for those who, those who haven't used Game Pass, 
the DLC is never included. That's kind of like it's almost kind of like that their way of monetizing it twice where you pay for game pass and then if you ever want to put, to get the, the dlc of any sort you you still have to pay for it though usually you get a kind of a, a discount for being a subscriber so if they just market the uh the premium access as a dlc part then you then you can pay for it even with the game pass yep um so i do see a lot of people saying that they think it's kind of a shitty move with the early access thing and i agree but also it's like it's not just Microsoft that's done this. Like Sega's been doing this a lot recently. They did it with Monkey Ball of all games for whatever reason. And like so many games these days do it. Even technically Final Fantasy 14 does it with well, the expansions. Well, MMO expansions, I feel like I've done this for a while, having like a head start period. But but yeah, but now we see it even in like completely single player games where you pre-order. We saw this with uh, Lost Judgment, right? You pre-order or you get the digital deluxe version and you play it three days early. So Sega has been doing it. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where it's you can roll your eyes at it, but it's it's very much a trend at this point. Yeah. And before I talk about the game itself, it, obviously, this has worked out for Microsoft because as of last night, there was like a thread on Reset Era where people were like keeping track of how many like players were on the leaderboards like during the early access period. And at least last night, there was over 700,000. So at least 700,000 people either bought the $100 version or they paid an extra 45, 50 bucks on top of a Game Pass sub to play the game early. I saw before we started this podcast, uh, someone reporting near a million. I don't remember what the number was. It could have just been the same 700,000 number, but yeah, it's it's, it's probably. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if before the end of the weekend it's past a million. In fact, it's probably past a million now. Like, everyone playing the games, having a great time. Spoiler alert, it's probably one of the best games of the year. Like, and, and that sounds weird if you don't play Forza games or if you haven't played the Forza Horizon stuff. But I feel like anyone that's either owned an Xbox or has been into, like, Microsoft's, like, first party offerings for like the last like five or so years knows that this has been the running gag. It's like for all of the missteps that maybe Microsoft's first parties have had over the years, the one constant is, well, the newest Forza game is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And it's weird because like, I still think of racing as kind of like this weird, neat, not weird. Weird's a bad word for it. This niche genre that has like a certain ceiling in terms of like how popular it can be. But then we talk about like Tales of Arise just barely hit one and a half million. We were wondering like when the two million mark would appear. Uh, and like Forza is just as big before it even releases almost. It's it's, it's sometimes it's just kind of out of my bubble. So I don't really think of it that much. But like, no, tons of people love these games and play them. And Age of Empires 4, also under Microsoft's banner, has been doing really well. I don't remember the sales numbers, but I know it's had like 70,000 concurrent players, which puts games like you know, Scarlet Nexus and Code Vein to shame and things like that. So it's cool to see kind of Microsoft still give the audiences behind these seemingly, at least to my perspective, niche genres, like really quality titles to look forward to. I, I stepped aside for just a second. Did you mention Age of Empires? Uh, very briefly. Just I, I know I saw the concurrent numbers amounts were doing really, really well. I don't remember if I've seen yeah. the sales total, though. It seems to be doing like pretty good for like an RTS. So you probably just mentioned that, but just making sure it seems no, ba- relevant. Basically, specifically talking about like from my bubble, I fo- I spend so much time thinking about RPGs because a 
you know, yeah, or contributing to the site <laughs> and B, they're what I mostly play. And when I think of like racing games or RTSs, like those are those niche little genres. Not many people play those, right? Oh, never mind. Lots of people play those. So what are your thoughts on for, uh, Forza so far? Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I had a, lot, a couple of issues with uh, Horizon 4, the uh, last one, because they kind of changed up some of the progression systems. And um, so basically in Horizon 3, the each of the events that were on the map had a specific ranking for like the car that you used on them. And the way that uh, Forza both motorsport and horizon works is that as you upgrade a card it adds to like an overall score to it and uh, at certain milestones that increases the grade so in horizon 3 you had to first off figure out okay which type of card you need to use for an event and you need to make sure that it matches up with the ranking of the event and there was a bit of a progression there where you had to keep up and make sure that you were upgrading and that you weren't just con- you weren't just showered with cars from the very beginning. And I and I like that. Um, but Horizon Four was saying uh, it's a little bit different as the understatement of the year. It was kind of like every car can do every event, and basically the type of event that it was would change depending on which car you used it in. It's I wasn't a huge fan of it. It was still a great game, but also another thing is that I felt like the map variety of Horizon 3, which was based off Australia, was a lot better than Horizon 4, which was based off of Great Britain. Big shock. Australia has more biodiversity than uh, Great Britain, but uh, <laughs> and the same goes here, because uh, Horizon 5 is Mexico. And uh, first off, probably my favorite map in the, in the entire series. I guess Obviously, I, didn't rea- I didn't realize that that's how the games were kind of like, if you told me what's the difference between Horizons 3, 4, 5, I would have been like different cars. I didn't realize they had like different environments and that's kind of how they differentiate. Yeah, no, they have different environments. And uh, I will say it's not really surprising since this is the first cross-gen like uh, Series X, Series S uh Forza Horizon, but man, this game looks phenomenal. And I've, I've seen people say that, like, don't trust what like people screenshot on Twitter because Twitter screenshots don't do this game justice. Yeah, um, for like just how great it looks. Yeah, yeah, I I'm very happy with how it runs, like, and how it looks. It, it's one of those games, like, let's put it this way, like, Forza Horizon 4 on completely max settings, like, even with, like, eight times MSA, I would get an average of, like, 100, 110 FPS at 4K on my system. The same settings here will give me an average of, like, 70, but the game looks so much better, and who the hell is using eight times MSA on a 4K monitor? Right. It's like it just turned the FPS counter off and it's like it's a really smooth game regardless. And it's like, yeah, it's running like a slightly lower frame rate than Horizon 4, but it looks so much better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still smooth as hell. It still feels great. It's like I'm having a great time with this. It's like one of those games that you're you can tell as you like jump into it that's going to be a benchmark for how good games can look for a really long time, especially the vegetation, like the heavily vegetated areas. Like one of the things I did last night was like the expedition to unlock uh, the 
Ryzen Apex uh, camp, which unlocks all the like street race uh, stuff around the map. And um, the expedition for this one had you going deep into the jun- to a jungle area during the middle of a like raging thunderstorm. And oh my god, like all of the swaying foliage, the like heavy like rain particle effects, the lightning, the like the fog and cloud, it, it just Probably, no, not probably. Definitely the best looking thing I've ever seen in the game. Just absolutely mind blowing. What is it about rain in video games that makes everything look nicer? <laughs> is that just like a really shallow games you like to flex their graphics capability? Well, that's when you can do like rain really, tracing. Yeah, oh. that's when you can do like, no, actually, I wasn't going to specifically call it that, but it's when you can do some like uh, fancy stuff with like specular lighting and like reflections and th- things like that. So. No, it's really cool to hear that, uh, you know, Forza fans, you know, maybe Microsoft's had a lot of potential going into this generation, but outside of Flight Simulator really hadn't been able to deliver on it yet, which people I think, right, you know, Game Pass was enough of a sell on its own. But now to have Age of Empires 4 and for, uh, Forza Horizon and obviously and it sounds Halo, like, yeah, it sounds like even if campaign's still up in the air, but it definitely sounds like at least as far as multiplayer is concerned, Halo is going to be a win. So. So one thing that's one thing that's sort of interesting and maybe relevant to us is that, you know, this is playground playground games and this game is reviewing really, really well. And like they know what they're doing and they are also making a new fable game, which is completely different from the racing stuff they do. So Isn't that slated for is that 2023 I, or 2020? I don't think it has a date, but they announced it at the was it the game awards last year. It was a while ago and it was just like a teaser. So it seems really early. So it's probably 2023 at the earliest. Yeah, that's kind of where but, I'm at. Like I was not, I was not expecting. And I'm that. not expecting it. I'm not expecting Fable next year. We would have seen more by now. Um, but it is. It's obviously the 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 interesting hook there is that like this studio has made Forza Horizon, and that's it. And they've done a really good job of it. But Fable is, of course not a racing game. At least I don't think it is. So oh, I I remember um, when Fable was announced, there was another one of those studio genre hops that I referenced or we referenced that ended up turning out really well, but now it's escaping me what it was. Uh, there, uh, there was, a, there was met, another reference. Uh, was it, was it, was it uh retro going from Metroid to Donkey Kong? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's what it was, but that's another, I mean, it's sort of a genre like, hop, not it's kind one, of, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there obviously you want people who specialize, which most developers do, but then there's, you know, that know-how does kind of tr- there's some like transferable skill sets where it's like you know we've we've shown that we're good at X so now we're going to stretch and try our hand at Y whether that's Metroid to Donkey Kong or Forza to an RPG like Fable. All right, I hate to ask, but Chow, have you played yes. anything in the last week? Well, there's one fun. game I can't talk about because I haven't passed oh. embargo date, oh, and there I- is uh, Final Fantasy <laughs> 14. I was going to tease you and be like, have you played anything other than Final Fantasy XIV? Uh, and the answer seemingly yes. yes, but wait on it. <laughs> so, well, what uh, am I supposed to say? Were we supposed to talk about the Final Fantasy Live Ladder, I guess? Uh, sure, we can kind of like, I suppose. As we you, can transfer gonna, into the news section and talk yeah, about we're, we're gonna first. We're going to borrow you, Chow, for this uh, for this segue into news. So uh, how are you taking the, uh, the Endwalker delay? Because uh, let me make the announcement or not make the announcement, just report on the announcement. Uh, we learned last night ahead of the live letter that Final Fantasy 14 Endwalker's delay 
uh, launch has been delayed by two weeks, and now it will release on December 7th and with early access on December 3rd, I believe. So how are you taking that news, Chow? And I guess also James. I'm taking it really well. I actually wanted to beat all the, um, was it the new raid bosses or... I wouldn't say the new raid bosses. It's the latest raid bosses from Shadowbringers, and I want to beat all those bosses before Endwalker comes out. And I only beat one of them out of the twelve, so so now you have an additional two weeks to to get that done to to beat them. Yeah, so I'm now, like, when, yeah. You say, when, when you say new, like how new are these? Uh they came out like last year. Oh, like, so but the newest uh, last ones. year December, I would say. That's when the last set, because they come in fours. Like every every patch update, they give them like four bosses at a time. And once all twelve bosses come out, it'll complete the story arc for those bosses. And you like st- only st- when did you start Final Fantasy fourteen? It was not that long ago. I think it was like June or July. Yeah, so it's been like a hectic three months for you. But it sounds like you're all but caught up and ready for Endwalker. So an extra two weeks. Yes, delayed. I got like uh, free jobs almost max leveled. Wow technically two but there's three jobs that are almost max level now so i'm quite ready which three jobs i, I got uh the dragoon the astrologian and the white mage and are those are you gonna fly, try out any of the new classes in and walker the the sage or the um uh, i'm gonna the play the one? sage it's on yeah. it it's the only way man i mean they have gundam funnels it's like what else can you ask for I, mean, I feel like this... we talk about these each time we bring up. <laughs> well, we, we haven't. Gundam we, we haven't yeah, we haven't talked about it in a while, so it's okay. All right, let's let's actually talk about the news. Other than, but yeah, they so... have they have a lot of news updates for you here. So they have there's new PvP zone. They have was it the new gear that they explained, which is all like Final Fantasy four gear. They actually Makes showed sense. off. And Walker seems to be very borrowing from ideas and themes from Final Fantasy four. Yeah, so it was like all, all the Final Fantasy IV gear was displayed. They showed a new mock station item, which is the Omega set, because you fight Omega as a boss in this game, right? And mm-hmm. they appear in this human form and stuff. They drop glamour that's sort of similar to them, but not what they're actually wearing. Well, so, I saw a lot of people excited for Viera hairstyles. Yes, because apparently if you play as this, uh, this race, you don't get to use all the hairstyle, and sometimes when you wear certain helmets, they don't even display properly. So it's like, imagine you buy the lightning hairstyle, which comes with the costume and stuff. Uh, and you can't even use the hair. So it's like, I, I, I did see one image of like the lightning styled Vera hair. And like, that's kind of, that looks kind of weird to me, but sure. Yeah. Okay. But it's a, it's a big deal for Vera players because they can't use a lot of the stuff in the game. So, I, I guess that's something to be excited for it, but I'm not using a mirror, so I don't really care. So as someone yep. who is not in the the minutiae of Fantasy 14, were there any other highlights from this live letter? Right now, what I'm looking for, and this is the this is the site I always reference, and I'm always gonna give them the shout out when I can, is that Nova Crystallis always goes really detailed into their coverage of the live letters. So if you want to know what was talked about in written form, just go to novacrystallis.com and they will have everything. So that's always what I reference here. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty long live letter. It'll be like most of the major class changes are already covered in the previous update, right? So no one really needs to know about the class changes, but it's more like a roadmap on what the schedule will be like. 
It's like the early access date, what kind of patches that come in and what kind of content they're going to get. So it's more like a roadmap, more than a, like what is actually there, right? Do you have any thoughts uh, on what was shown at the live letter, James? I know you're also looking forward to Endwalker. Um, I mean, we're so close, even with the delay, that it's like, well, it's weird. Like, once, especially with MMOs, once it gets so close to the expansion, it's like, well, I'm kind of trying not to think about it too much because I don't want to drown myself in hype. So you're just uh, gonna delay. Like, it'll get, it'll get here when delay it work better for like your timing. Like I don't know if you have like classes or something that are. Oh no ending. no no no! Uh, okay, let, let me put it know. this way: uh, early access drops on the first day of my finals week. Now, now it does. does. Oh. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and of Rip course, there's, been, there's there's also been like a bunch of meme or meme adjacent okay. things where it's like everyone going back to request re-request their pay time off or whatever. And I've I've done that for other expansion launches, so like I I empathize really. So good luck, all you. Yeah, I, yeah, I found a image of this like on Twitter yesterday. I wish Dang all it. Final Fantasy fourteen players rushing to change their PTO a very understanding <laughs> player. <laughs> I, I I get it. I get it. I've actually seen some people say like, now I have time to like, I don't have to rush uh, SMT five. So maybe that'll cover a few of us here. Yeah, yeah I think yep. it wasn't. Pokemon was like the same. Date. Yeah. Or right around like same week at least. I'm so, yeah, yeah. I I don't think we haven't actually decided who's reviewing that yet, have we? For Pokemon. Well, uh, being frank, the Pokemon company is sometimes very stringent with review co- copy availability, especially for a site like us who is not necessarily like Nintendo focused. So it sort of like depends on when and if we get an early copy. But yeah, we'll see. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have the time for it now. <laughs> Apparently it's leaked in some places, I saw. Which, you know, yeah. seems to always happen. Cool. Like actual physical copies or like Yeah, yeah seems like yeah. it. Yeah. I mean some some retailer or warehouse somewhere just has copies either stolen or sold. So Yeah, I mean like when I reviewed Pokemon Sword, I got a copy a few days early from a local store. So it's like Yeah, those local stores that like you know, we don't care about street dates. We just put them up when we get them. Well, I saw some stuff about Amazon sending out Shimagami Tensei 5 copies early. So I feel like uh, it, it seems actually somewhat common for like special editions where they where they're kind of just shipped early. Like almost it's almost like overcompensating. Like we want people to get these on the launch date, not later. So we're going to ship them early. But sometimes they mean that means they get them before the launch date. But you know, so it always happens. Outside of the Final Fantasy uh, 14 delay and live letter, there were two other, uh, you know, moderately big updates for the week. And one of them was a new 19 minute gameplay footage trailer for Elden Ring. And uh, normally when uh, a publisher or a developer releases like an extended gameplay look, like I'm not the sort of person to really typically dive into that. Just because, like, usually, like, the premise, the art style, and just, like, a snippet of gameplay is enough that I need to say, like, yes, I'm interested or no, I'm not. But I started watching this 19-minute trailer, which is just basically pure gameplay with a little bit of uh, a voiceover explaining the the systems. And it's, like, 
I, I watched the whole thing. Like immediately, I was immediately sold. It looks amazing. If if you have any affinity at all towards the types of games that From Software has made in the last decade, Dark Souls, uh, Bloodborne, Sekiro, any of those, uh, this Elden Ring trailer, you probably already watched this Elden Ring trailer, but if you haven't, uh, it just, I'm immediately, like I, I know we heard Josh talking about it. Uh, oh, I don't remember if that was on a podcast or if that was just in chat, but he was like, man, I'm sold. Uh, I think I think this gameplay trailer was going on at the same time as some other event. It was the game trade trailer started when the Shimagami Tensei review embargo lifted literally oh. the same time. So, so basically there's a like I was posting my review and, of course, checking the reaction at that time. So I didn't I wasn't looking at the trailer. So kind of that hour was like a flood of Elden Ring like footage and smt reactions or whatever for i just reviews. remember in our discord we were like poking at a uh, different you know takeaways for shimagami sensei 5 looking at the consensus and then meanwhile josh was going on like oh shit or whatever like <laughs> with the elden Ring horses can almost fly <laughs> yeah so it just i guess the 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 game the game is like really colorful it's got it looks really clean and nice it's kind of like one of those things where you're like oh yeah dark souls 3 was several years ago at this point i skipped sekiro so i forget exactly how sekiro looked um but it just elden ring looks like a big step up because you know obviously it is a next generation or current generation game uh and it we just recently talked about the delay uh for that about a month into early next year and now it's basically like circled on my calendar i mean it already was but just the, the 19 minute gameplay trailer did just really sell me on it um they didn't really quite detail it specifically but this uh and and maybe if I look into like some more of the the minutia of the press releases or whatever, this would be explained. But because Elden Ring seems to be a little bit like the Dark Souls series has always been kind of like a seamless world, but in a way sort of segmented into regions, which kind of affected what you could do for co-op and like where you could summon allies. And part of me is just like, I wish this game just had like co-op start to finish the game that I actually reference for that sort of design would be actually outward the indie game from nine dots from a few years back where you, uh, you just basically there are there are no caveats to co-op you can just have someone with you the whole time and play through the whole game rather than having like this summon de-summon for the boss sort of thing or for the zone and i kind of hope that elden ring has a little bit more leniency on i would love to play through this game with a with a buddy like start to finish and i'm sure you can i just don't know like what you would have to have in consideration to do that but because they showed that in the trailer, they showed some boss fights, uh, they showed some story snippets. It it all looks really great. You know, there's only Dark good things Souls to say. Of the wild. <laughs> Getting right. some boss baby vibes from this. <laughs> okay, but it looks really good. It's February twenty fifth again. It's the new date for it, and it looks amazing. Here's an update that I've sort of been looking forward to. In more of a thank God finally and uh, sort of fashion, and that is for Fantasy Star Online Two: New Genesis. So I cover this game a lot uh, when it first came out in the summer. It's been very kind of threadbare for a while in terms of what to do. Uh, I've been trying to keep on top of it, but it's mostly just been like festivals and like that sort of update where it's like, oh, there's a Halloween event, you can get costumes now for your character, but no real new actual stuff to do. Uh, we finally learned that it's going to get its first major content update in December called Sandstorm Requiem, where they are finally raising the level cap past level 20. They're adding a new region with new bosses. They're doubling the amount of elemental spells. Uh, basically, it feels like this is the sort of stuff that 
should have been in the game at launch. Like, for instance, in Fantasy Star Online 2, the base game, there's always been six elements. Uh, fire. I'm, I, let's see if I get these right. It's a, it's a typical set. It's like fire, wind, thunder, ice, light, dark. But then New Genesis yeah. only launched with three fire, ice, lightning. And it's finally like, it's like, here are finally the other three elements. And like, finally, by raising the level cap for the existing classes, like they're finally getting some of their abilities that should have carried over from the first game in the in the first place because like the very core components of the class like the techer techer being able to like actually do more buffs than just shift and d-band if you haven't played fantasy star those are just you know basically might uh strength up and defense up and it's it's like finally something to do and like a little bit of meat on the bone in terms of like the the base story for fantasy star online 2 new genesis you could literally complete in like two hours like I'm not exaggerating, so I'm kind of being cynical. It's like finally two more hours of content after five months. Uh, but yeah, I still have the game installed. I will poke at this over my Christmas break, maybe because um, it is coming out like on December fifteenth. So it seems like a weird time for it. Uh, but uh, I'm wishing them the best. They do kind of need it. Uh, hopefully, it will continue or at least lead into some momentum for the game beyond just continuously releasing. Uh, loot box scratch ticket sort of things last week we talked about how longtime Shin Megami Tensei and Persona composer Soji Maguro was leaving his position at Atlas to freelance and basically he would still work closely with the company but he clearly had kind of other plans bigger plans uh, and then he immediately I don't think anyone is expecting this so quickly he immediately announced basically a new game uh basically uh, all the details of it it's got a steam page and everything and that is guns undarkness kind of a kind of a uh, i i, I sh- he did say like when it was announced that he that he left that he was working on an indie game so we knew he was like that's one reason why he left was so he could make his own game and i think he even like showed some screenshots of it so like yeah so we knew he was working on something i don't know if we expected a formal announcement this quickly uh, I think there's an indie live expo thing that went on that we sort of some people you might have predicted it here, I believe, but yeah, that's what he's working on is Guns on Darkness. The reason why I bring up the Steam page kind of awkwardly is because this is for some reason this is just kind of interesting to me. Where I, if you pull up the Steam page for Guns on Darkness, it says developer Shoji Maguro, publisher Shoji Maguro. It's like you see that sometimes for like indie projects for like. Uh, stuff that you see on Kickstarter where they like kind of languish for a while because they take a long time to develop for individual, you know, game yeah, creators. Like that are yeah. yeah. And it's like Shoji Maguro now has his name attached to a game like that. Uh, just not what I expected. Like three weeks ago, would anyone have predicted this? Probably not. Um, the game itself looks really kind of weird and I'm not sure good. So there is a little bit of a trailer for it uh, showing a decent amount of gameplay. It is a stealth tactical RPG that has kind of like this weird, almost like Western art style from a third person perspective, almost like a third person shooter. And most of the gameplay, this is a bit particular, but most of the gameplay shown in this initial announcement trailer is characters wielding firearms basically behind cover and then coming out of cover to shoot at enemies. I know yeah, it looks like a cover shooter RPG. Like yeah, take a cover shooter, but make it an RPG, like a turn-based RPG, which is like, sure, okay. But it's just, it's, that's not what I expected. 
but but it's just such a particular like gameplay like that moment when you're in cover and go out from cover and shoot at the enemy like that's a very like that's a very like sliver of what a game could be and this game this trailer does that like four or five times like this is what happens when you come out of cover from the left and then from the right and then from wielding a rifle in this case wielding a pistol in this case it's like okay i get it there's this game has guns and it has a cover system it's just it's just i just wasn't expecting that much focus on that very particular thing um there's almost very little to glean from a story here other than that it's like uh, a post-apocalyptic world which is like a devastated world after a nuclear war uh and you become a member of the uh this is the phrasing of this is a bit weird. Um, you become a member of the PMC private military company. It's like, it's, it's just like, so games, no well, it just seems like games, you see this, I think of like Tom Clancy games a lot when it's like, you just create like, you just create like a, a nebulous sounding organization like Blackthorn or Crimson Circuit or something. And you're like, they're a private military, you know, complex or whatever. And you make them the out the good guys or the bad guy. And this one's just like, we're gonna we're gonna cut the frills. It's literally called private military company. Uh, apparently, according to the um the blurb on the trailer. But I don't think it looks that good, but also this is no no details on a launch window, no details on how far out this is. This is just introducing the concept and the the, the game itself. Uh so I don't want to judge it too harshly, but it's just like, oh, okay, that's something. It's something different, at least. Like, it's interesting. It has kind of like this um, almost like progressive rock sort of themes. Like, it's sort, of, it's sort of like it has some uh, an OST playing during parts of the trailer that sounds like something you'd hear like in an opening for like a shonen anime. It's got <laughs> like, Lotus Juice on vocals, and it's not quite rap either. Yeah, and I was like, that's a, that's a choice. It's interesting. I don't know if it fits the game, but it's not what I was expecting. So maybe that was the intent. I don't know. But Guns on Darkness, kind of a mouthful, but uh, being developed and published by Shoji Maguro, announced shortly uh, after. I think the only other bit. I think the only other bit of context for this is that he, um, there's like a indie game fund, like Kodansha Indie Game Project, something like that, that basically is you know. A support group for indie developers that he, you know, pitched his idea to or whatever, and he didn't win, but he, you know, did well enough that he is getting funding from that to like make his game. So, like for example, the YouTube channel that this that this trailer is on is the Kodansha Indie Game Fund. Or let me let me look it up. What it's actually called? While you look uh, it up, I'm reading Creators Lab. They call it the Creator Lab. Creators, Creators Lab. Lab. So I'm reading another part of the story summary, which I missed before, which is like making me almost giggle um i'll just read the whole thing it's not very long the story takes place in the year 2045 in a devastated world after a nuclear war where you become a member of the p of a pmc private military company oh, i guess it says a pmc so maybe maybe it wasn't what i was thinking earlier and carry out missions with your peers and this is the kicker amid fierce battles the protagonist realized the true love will lead humanity to a higher level of existence. So there's some like, <laughs> there's some like nebulous Power of love with this PMC theming. Well, they, they don't, they don't say, it says the true love. So it's like an actual, like tangible thing in this universe. Like we gotta, we gotta harness the power of the true love in order to. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like humanity. Erica seven. Maybe, I don't know, Can but we... some nebulous ideas. Maybe it's interesting. We got some screenshots up on the site. It, it's something. Here's another game that was announced in the last week that I don't know a lot about, but uh, it, 
it's something that we actually borrowed from an announcement that we saw on Gamatsu. So we credited credited them for uh, the announcement. And that is for Honor of Kings World. So Tencent Games released a MOBA in 2015 called Honor of Kings. And I do know that this kind of got a Western release under Arena of Valor, but it's like it was like completely different art style, almost like a different game, but based on the same framework. I've not played either game. Kind of like one of those really old localizations where they just change the game entirely, readapt it for the West. So so I played neither of those things, so I'm only using that as like a summary. But basically, Honor of Kings is I will mention that I have heard of Arena of Valor. I actually had not heard of Honor of Kings, but apparently it's like super big in China. So a lot of people play it. I've heard basically it's been toe-to-toe with Genshin Impact in terms of like revenue. So it's big. Mm -hmm. Because we know Genshin Impact's big, but that seems to clearly have a much stronger foothold here in the West, where Honor of Kings is, I think, a a new idea for most all of us. But so what this is, what Honor of Kings World is, is basically a it's almost like a spinoff, but it's an open world RPG. So normally when I think a spinoff, I think of like arena battler or dancing game. Like, nope, this open world RPG is the spinoff of the MOBA. Um, and it got a new trailer and it's slated for a global release, but we don't know any other details. So the trailer is in uh, Chinese, but with English subtitles. And it's it's mostly cg cinematics with some gameplay appearing elements though i can't really glean how much it's spoofed it it does show it does show a ui and a mini map and a health bar and all that stuff but it, it goes from cg to gameplay in a manner where i don't want to be like distrustful but it's just like i don't especially when there i have no idea of like how far out this is uh you know and you know who's what what the timetable is for like a release we have reason to be skeptical uh, well i, I mean, don't know if we have reason it might be an irrational skepticism but it's there anyways i'm not gonna exp- i'm not gonna try to like self-evaluate why i feel that way but the, i will say that the art style of the cg trailer and the gameplay that they show is really nice and colorful i've seen some people just immediately directly compare it to like genshin impact just on a visual standpoint um it's got some really great music in the trailer especially towards the end um uh, it's got some really familiar sort of like Tra- uh, trappings of like flying sea whales and they like the, the clouds part showing kind of like this um you know futuristic chinese styled city uh and i'm sure like if you know the moba game you're like being able to call out all the references and things and of course i can't because i don't have that uh i don't have that knowledge but it's it's kind of like that wukong game where it's like i don't know like how much brain space i should a lot to this because it might be years and years before we see it though it is kind of cool right. that they went out they got out ahead of the um of the questions and said it is planned for a global release i did see some people speculating that it was i believe because they had listed in one of their briefings that they are working on an ambitious open world triple a rpg and like ah oh, this could be it but i don't know none of it as far as i know has been like really nailed down so mm-hmm. at this point at this point, I'm like the trailer seems really nice. The idea I'm I I, I kind of like, but it, it's just kind of like too far out to really. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm just kind of like just put a tab on it and come back to revisit it later. Yeah, like I'll no. like I'll ch- I'll check in in two years and, and see how we're going. But uh, I'll definitely keep it in mind. And we covered it up on the site, and the trailer looks really nice. All right, a couple more, uh, just a few little. Uh, kind of clerical things in terms of sales and delays and the typical sort of stuff we start to wind down the uh, the podcast with. 
We did get some financial figures for Nintendo. This is for quarter two of the current fiscal year. And the I don't want to get too deep into weeds of what, what sold like Breath of the Wild sold up, sold another million surprise, things like that. Uh, the main takeaway here is that the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD has already outsold the the Wii version of the game. So I don't know if we know that like absolutely for sure, but it's it, it seems like if it's at least going to be very, very close. I, I guess so. it's because like based on the most recent update for the Wii sales, which is like 2012, and we don't know like how yeah. much has how much has trickled in since then. Uh, right. But com- but comparing just the the quarter the quarter two announcement for for this year, Skyward Sword HD, despite kind of it feels like it kind of launched with a whimper, and I feel like compared to like Twilight Princess and Wind Waker, well, it launched a whimper but sold three three point six million copies. It's like that's eh, pretty good. Yeah, it turn, turns out Zelda sells pretty well, huh? But uh, yep, so Skyward Sword HD still seems like it was a financial success, or at least uh, yeah, compared to the original game in terms of yeah. So sold. specifically. It sold 3.6 million in the quarter, so that's as of like at the end of September. It's sold more since then, I'm sure, and it will sell more in the holidays for sure. And the original Skyward Sword on Wii, you know, nine years ago, sold 3.52 million in its first year, and you know, so it's probably has lingering sales since then. But basically, it seems all but inevitable if it, it hasn't already that the Switch versions already outsold the the Wii version um, switch is just that has that power. Yep. <laughs> so I actually did buy the game. I haven't played it yet. I'm not even a big fan of Skyward Sword. I've just played all the other remasters. Like why not? We did get a new set of screenshots and details for the upcoming Dragon Quest 10 offline. This is releasing in February next year for Japan. Still no news on anything. Uh, regarding an English potential version, but they are also talking about, so when Dragon Quest 10, it currently has like six major chapters, if I remember right. And basically they're going to start, you know, laying those in as essentially like a DLC expansions for the offline version of the game. So they did talk about how uh, version two of the MMORPG will be an expansion later in next year for the offline version of the game called Sleeping Hero and Guiding Alliance, but maybe a moot point because we don't know any details about if they're even considering a an English version of the game. I think it's all basically wishful thinking at this point. It's like, well, if you want, if we can't play an official English version of the MMO, which maybe is understandable because it's too big of an undertaking, if you're developing an offline version of the game, maybe this is your opportunity. As uh, so for right now, it seems like it still is not. So, yeah, I, the reception to this news post was kind of it was pretty positive you know it basically looks like it's got the chibi art style sure but you know it's a regular turn-based dragon quest game so it kind of looks like it plays like any other mainline dragon quest game so not like the mmo and you have a set cast cast of characters and the the screenshots show five of them plus your main character who is kind of player created so there's a lot of people who i saw comment commenting on this article or on this news it's like hey this paper pretty much looks like it could just be and exactly what you know it's intended to be just like a single player dragon quest like i would love to play this but we don't know if we're even going to get the chance to so especially considering it seems like dragon quest 10 is year not 10 why did i say 10 uh 
12 is years and years and years out because we only got the logo and like a nebulous idea of what it might be. So like, oh, here, this would be Our a perfect, adults. like, th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> this would be a perfect, uh, you know, for, for fans of the series who don't want to play the MMO or more likely can't play the MMO, at least not conveniently. Uh, here's another big, you know, Dragon Quest game with tons of story to pull from because it's pulling from years of, uh, of the MMO's development. But it's still off the table. Sorry, just deal with it. We also have those other Dragon Quest games that were like spinoffs that are coming out soon. Those are actually are confirmed for localization. That's I'm talking about like the three remaster and then the Dragon Quest Treasures. But the, I, I have to imagine those are next year. But they actually haven't said for sure. We haven't we haven't heard about Dragon Quest Treasures since they that, uh, they announced stream, them at right? like that May. It was like May or early June. Dragon Quest event. They kind of announced a handful of them. Um, they didn't give platforms or dates, which is a little bit awkward. And like, I can't imagine. I imagine at least one of them got a release next year, right? So it's a little bit weird. Yeah, Dragon Quest Treasures was announced on the 35th anniversary stream. Uh, so it was, uh, it was the remaster of three, which, yep. with the uh, Octopath style. Mm-hmm. We'll probably get more info on those. Uh, before we get a confirmation on Dragon Quest yeah, Online. Probably. Here's a bit of news that I think is like the amount of people that are going to care about this, I think is just very, very small, but maybe like it's a very passionate sliver of a fan base that was really looking forward to this. Um, Sword Art Online, Alicization Lycoris, I never remember how to pronounce that, released about a year and a half ago in the middle of last summer. And it is just now getting its first paid DLC offering called blooming for blooming of forget me not and it's just it's just interesting to me because it's like here we are 18 months later normally at that point i feel like most game unless it's a game it's a certain games it's a service release most most times at that point a game like i'm thinking like witcher 3 or or games of that style have like already kind of gone through their post-release roadmap, like Monster Hunter World even by a year and a half later had kind of seen most of what it had to offer in terms of all of its post-release updates. But no, Sword Art Online, Alicization like Chorus is getting its first major one, which adds a new single-player story that centers on Kurito and Yu-Gi-Oh! from the Alicization storyline. Um, it talks about how you have to play it in single-player before you unlock like the multiplayer components of the game to kind of replay through the content. Uh, so I'm not like into Sword Art Online, but I know this game has sort of kind of worked like almost a games as a service game. But in all the updates, regular all the updates, updates so far have been free. Right. But I know it's gotten like several patches as well, or like alongside those updates that do things like add quests and raise, you know, level limits and have it has like dailies and it even has some sort of like money gotcha sort of system as well i haven't looked deeply into this but it sort of kind of straddles that single player rpg like linear game versus like service game so it kind of has that just because i'm curious i was trying to see like how many people are playing it on steam right now 300 I don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if that's good or bad. That seems decent for, a, for a game yeah. that's like a niche genre. Niche, I mean, Sword Art Online is Ty- popular, but I don't know if it's that popular. Um, Ty- a year and a half after launch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
But yep, it's available now, blooming of Forget Me Not. And it sounds like it's a pretty substantial update. And alongside all the other free updates that have come in over the last year and a half, it sounds like people who have really enjoyed this game have had plenty, uh, plenty to go with. I am still waiting on news for Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. That's like the mobile game that is basically going to be the sort of catch-all for the entire Final Fantasy VII like extended mythos covering all the events of all the games. Uh, we didn't get any news on that. Instead, we got an opening movie sequence for Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier, which is the uh, Battle Royale game that I forgot existed. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't forget. <laughs> it's just, it just I... wasn't in... We should probably disclose this. <laughs> uh-huh. um, literally just uh, the other day, um, just randomly got a, a press kit in the mail for this game. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Have you covered anything like regarding Square Enix titles in general or Final Fantasy VII? And Walker. I, I, yeah. Oh, I and think Walker. Well, no, but I think that the mobile division of Square Enix is a separate company. And the reason why I got this is because I covered the Saga mobile game. Uh, I still like the I still like the idea of like, are you looking forward to Final Fantasy 14 and Walker? Well, you might like Final Fantasy 7, the first soldier or something like that. Like, uh, maybe. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll, I'll at least give it a shot. I mean, yeah. I mean, they were nice not to send your press kits. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if this date is new or not, but it comes out like it's available on November seventeenth. So you can play this while you're waiting for Endwalker. Um, <laughs> now you don't have to choose. <laughs> um, I, I still think it's funny that I mean, when you look at so a lot of the concept here is Tetsuya Nomura, right? But like when he was interviewed about the Battle Royale. His answer was kind of blasé, where he's like, well, battle royales are popular, and I wanted to make one. Like, oh, I guess that's okay. as good a reason as any. <laughs> so, and I'll, mean, sure. I'll be completely honest, like, looking at the trailer, it doesn't look... It looks like they put some budget yeah, into high it. High budget, it, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it might be a, a fun distraction. So. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that... So, okay, this is my first time watching this trailer front to back, which I'm not ashamed to admit. <laughs> but it has this really particular style where it's like freeze framing every two seconds you know you know you know what it kind of reminded me of although not quite it kind of reminded me of uh the movie 300 it does kind of do that or just like like, shot freeze frame like dodging a freeze frame frame. (laughs) like slowdowns like every couple of moments (laughs) like okay sure the the second half of the trailer does a little bit less of that but it it does do this freeze frame thing for like a good uh, let's just say 30 seconds like okay well, uh, we we will hold James. We will hold James to it. He, we better hear his impressions on the first soldier. Oh no! Uh, in a couple, of weeks. Uh, no, uh, Scott to. did write up like a preview when he had like a when he was in like a test phase for it. I mean, battle royales can be fun, like for like a, as like you know a collaborative or not collaborative, but like you know multiplayer sort of experience, kind of randomness things like that. So I, it's, a, I it's obviously until... not. Good. I was like, I can't wait until like there's some nuggets of like backstory attached to this involving like Sephiroth or, or Zach or something that's going to be up you, in the second part of the remake. Like you better have played the first soldier didn't to play the battle royale. You're going to be confused. Well, okay. maybe maybe they'll incorporate the story here into Ever Crisis, which, as far as I know, Ever Crisis is still just nebulously 2022 at some point. Uh, yep. 
I am actually legitimately looking forward to that one. But first soldier, uh, I'll let I'll let either James or Scott report on it and let me let me know what they think. Uh, remember, like a year ago, a year plus ago, when there was like a huge hoopla about Spider-Man being exclusive to the Sony version, the PlayStation version of Marvel's Avengers. It was before the-, the game launched. Yes, when that happened. And the game launched last September, so this would have been like a year and a half ago. Uh, we finally got a release date for Spider-Man to Marvel's Avengers, and now I am missing George's presence deeply. Uh, he will be coming for the game on PlayStation platforms on November 30th. Now, November 30th is also just a big content update for the game in general, including like a level increase, new gear, a new type of enemy, stuff that's like people who have played the game will, will maybe appreciate. Um so the roadmap so far has basically just been, as far as I'm aware, the two versions of Hawkeye, the War for Wakanda expansion, and now this. So I don't know if there's really anything beyond this that people are aware of. Like this is. I think there's other things of- like new. I think there's other things like minor costume updates, like raids. You know, not like the main like content chunks, but you know, just like minor things here. Just or there. like just like a, a vanilla patch. Yeah, but. So November 30th is a, a big a big day for Marvel's Avengers. I I guess we'll see if we can loop George in at the end of the month uh, or early next month to see what he thinks of it. And uh, see if Spider-Man oh, ends up good. The weird thing about this Spider-Man announcement is that there's literally not a single frame at least as far as I can tell of Spider-Man in this game. Like there's no screenshots, there's no trailer. Just he's coming on November 30th. That's all we know. I say that's kind of weird. Like that is weird. Like I, I, didn't, I, I didn't like register that, but I'm looking through like the actual post on the Avengers website, and you're right. Yeah, it doesn't like, like it all doesn't we got show Spider Man at all, or like you know, <laughs> we, we, how does we it, how does he play? Out. What? <laughs> it's it's like that's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe I they're mean, just trying to like avoid the uh, the drama. Yeah, like he doesn't well, look like what, what drama. I mean, maybe if Avengers hadn't flopped, there would be drama about him being exclusive to PlayStation still. But I think people just don't care about the game enough yeah. to give a shit anymore. Yep. Especially when it's like Spider-Man has his own game and he has a new game coming, you know, she's like, OK, I mean, I know that's also PlayStation only, but if you're a Spider-Man person, you're you're buying the Spider-Man games. Right. This is yeah. This is a uh, so I'm reading the Avengers post, um, and there are no screenshots of Spider-Man or anything. I just for some reason just this is just making me giggle again. I guess I'm I'm giggling at a lot of press releases now. Um, here's a taste of his journey in Marvel's Avengers. Not a trailer, not a screenshot, but just like a little paragraph describing what it is. Uh, Peter Parker uncovers AIM's new plan to acquire technology that can make their synthoid army unstoppable. Blah, 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 blah. He must partner with the Avengers to stop the looming threat. And I'm just like, I could have guessed this. You, you didn't have to tell me this. Uh, and also it's like, will he join the Avengers or will he stay on his own? Like, <gasps> Suspense. Uh Though I am genuinely looking forward to hopefully. I'm, 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 I'm actually not sure. Is like is Spider-Man only going to be like playable like within this sort of like storyline context, or will you can you if you have a PlayStation version like unlock him for the other parts of the game? I don't even know how that works. <laughs> I don't know. We're we are we are lacking we on our Marvel Avengers know-how. <laughs> we need you, George. All right. Well, check back in December, and we'll see if we can make that happen. Rune Factory 4 is coming to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC on December 7th. Now, this is, as far as I can tell, 
the first time a Rune Factory game has been on a non-Nintendo system? Well, is that true? they announced that these were coming. That is isn't true. Oh, no. uh, Rune Factory has been on Sony platforms in the past. Uh, Tides of Destiny. On, yeah, Tides of Destiny was on the PS3. Ah, okay. But it's coming. It's coming on December seventh uh, for those platforms. Uh, it's already got. Well, a yeah, just to be page. clear, we knew it was already coming to these platforms. We just didn't know when. Oh, and now okay. we do. Sometimes I just wish it sounds like it sounds like like, like based on impressions that like Chow had and other people have had. Like hopefully I've seen people say hopefully Rune Factory Five comes to PC because it does not seem to play well on Switch. And, and Chow, you can talk to that, right? Like, just, yeah, I, I can. I can confirm that they're still updating the game. There's like ten patches with the game now. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that just reminds me of all the people I saw like taking a weird, well, not really a weird response, like responding to uh, your Shimagami Tensei Five review, saying it runs poorly on Switch. Do you know something that we don't? <laughs> I, I so in my little review card, I said performance issues on Switch. No, I don't know anything. I, I would I, I'm going to expect that SMT5 will land on other platforms just because third party exclusives are so rare. Like I it just seems unlikely that like yes, this is never gonna release on anything other than Switch. But I just kind of said that, you know, it probably performs on average like most Switch games do, which is honestly not great. <laughs> Maybe it's fine if you're used to playing a bunch of Switch games, but it's just like, you know, the hardware is kind of old. And it wasn't ever really a powerhouse to begin with. So, all right. Yeah, It'd be so nice if SMT5 was on other platforms. Like, I felt bad that I forgot that this was announced for the platforms already, but I guess it was announced during the future game show at E3 that Rune Factory yep. 4 was coming to PC. And so I, I'm, I'm going to blame the fact that it happened during E3 and there was too much else going on. But I honestly forgot that E3 technically happened this year. Yeah. I remember <laughs> that website that like I signed up for yeah, and that, I never logged that, into. That, uh, it was so. I, I expected it to be. It was so useless. Yeah, useless. We got a release date for another game that I do remember talking about on the podcast, and this is uh, Nifanichi's The Cruel King and the Great Hero. So we, I remember, like when this game was announced uh, a few months back. Let's see, um, back in earlier May, this year, April. It's released in Japan already. Yeah, and it it has the kind of touching very unique interesting hook that it's a dragon raising a little girl who will one day grow up to defeat him the game is called the cruel king and the great hero we do have a western release date now that was the announcement this week it will be releasing on march 1st 2022 um looks like a really charming little you know special project kind of talked about how it's just kind of it has a neat simple idea that i think kind of sells itself uh it's kind of cool always to see um nipanichi kind of still go for these sorts of games that don't have to be bigger than they are just are a very a very clear kind of concise sort of idea and i it's just releasing at a bad time i guess (laughs) i just look at march 1st and i'm like i'm probably gonna be still playing elden ring at that point uh but plus knowing nintendo they'll definitely have like some random game announced for march like yeah. oh yeah so it, it just seems like a bad time for it but it does it just looks like a really cute fun game uh poignant bittersweet probably as well but uh, all of those things so looking forward to this one hopefully before the end of next year i'll make time for it 
this is a game I talked about a little bit last week that I was looking forward to, and that's Marvel's Midnight Suns. It's uh, an XCOM-esque tactical RPG set in the Marvel Universe. It was originally set, scheduled in for March of 2022, but they've delayed it and saying that it will now release in the second half of next year. Not really a whole lot else to go with that, except it just seems really interesting to me that this game was announced uh, barely over two months ago in late August. And so and now they're already like delaying it by six months. So sometimes I just feel like I, I just kind of wish what was I'm not that um, passionate about release dates. Like if a game's delayed, I'm just like, I can occupy my time until then. That's fine. I wasn't married to your original yeah, release date. There's plenty of other things to play. It's just interesting I'm to me. Like I'm, just, I'm more curious just about the logistics of like when they announced this in August, August 25th, a little over two months ago. And they say, yeah, we're planning to release in March. And then two months later, they say, oh, shit, we need to back it up by three months. I'm just wondering, like, how much confidence is there when they announce yeah, a release date? Like, when... when like, uh, were you actually ever thinking you could sell it in March or what? I don't know. Or was it just kind of like wishful thinking? Like, we hope we can. Especially when, like, you actually get, like, an exact release date really early. Like, I'm thinking, like, Starfield has a release date for next November. Like, do you have, like, an actual, like, timetable, like a, like a Gantt chart that says, like, these are all the things we will do in order to release exactly on whatever day that is for Starfield, November 12th of 2022. It just seems weird to me. Like how much confidence can you have in that so far out? Cause like, I'm not going to really trust it until we're like two months away and you haven't announced a delay yet. Obviously you have a uh, cyberpunk here. You could like reference, they had several hard release dates that none of them worked. And even you could argue the final <laughs> release date didn't work either. It never worked. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I remember saying that I was really interested. Uh, so this delay wasn't announced like alongside any other trailer or whatever. It was just a, um, it was just a, uh, a Twitter message, basically a Twitter message from the creative director, Jake Solomon. Uh, but I did go ahead and like watch back some of the old gameplay trailers at the release. And like the gameplay to me looks a little bit slower and it's a little bit more tactical and it's kind of got like a deck based system, which I actually think is kind of interesting. But it does also really focus on a lot of stuff that I just don't care about at all. Twice in the trailer, and this is this is the trailer released back in uh, September. Um, so not new stuff where it's like, for the first time ever in a Marvel game, you can create your own hero. And I'm just kind of, the way they sold that is like the the hook. I'm just like, I don't really care about that, but but sure. <laughs> I don't know. I just think maybe my priorities are in a way different place compared to most people. Like that, that I, doesn't... I don't know. Is it like a self-insert? I guess. I don't know. I don't like self-inserts. I always hate them. It's just, it's just like your typical custom hero sort of thing. Like I'm guessing you kind of like pick an amalgam of powers from existing heroes and make your own and which is fine. And like, I'm not surprised that the game has that, but they're just the way they sold it as like the hook for the first time ever in a Marvel game. And like, Oh shit, that's why I'm getting this. Like, no, I'm going to get this because I think the gameplay looks interesting. Uh, but we'll check back in, in the second half of next year for its new release date. All right. I don't know how much time we should put into the very last item on our list. And this is involving kind of an ongoing saga of the past couple months. Uh, leaks coming out of GeForce Now data in terms of like placeholders for upcoming games basically pulled out of like GitHub listings from GeForce Now. Is it GeForce Now? Yeah, it's GeForce Now. And there's been stuff on here that we've talked about in the past, like a listing for a Final Fantasy IX remake and some release dates for games we already know about, such as Avowed, uh, which is the first person game from Obsidian underneath Microsoft. And this is the sort of stuff that when uh, when when this was posted up on our site and tweeted out on our social pages, 
people love this stuff. This 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 has probably been our most re- read article in the people last week. People love speculation, the, and it's just like I don't. This kind of goes back to that release date thing. Like as part of this leak, for instance, it says. Kingdom Hearts 4, September 30th of 2023. Like, I I do not give any stock to that date at all. It is like, it's either a placeholder, or even if it's not a placeholder, it is like a best guess from, and like, oh shit, you're telling me they're working on another Kingdom Hearts game? Or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And then it's... All jokes aside, if there was going to be a Kingdom Hearts 4, I don't think that would be a crazy date for it, considering if you looked at, like, the release dates for Kingdom Hearts games, like, yeah, like you see that big gap between two and three, but then you realize that there was Birth by Sleep, three, five, eight over two there's days. Also, there's pre-coding. also the whole, like, back then they had a different Kingdom Hearts team and then they set up a, the Osaka Kingdom Hearts team. Final Fantasy Versus was all involved and then it kind of decided, well, now the Osaka team is the main team. So, like, it makes a lot more sense that four could come a lot faster than three did just because they kind of know, okay, the Osaka team is working on it. Like they made, they, you know, so, but uh, I actually have a friend who is kind of like cataloging this NVIDIA stuff. And, um, so he's, you know, trying to test it, like verify, like how true is this or not? He says, since the game was, or since this list was leaked, you know, a few months ago, there were 137 announced games, unannounced games, excuse me. And since then, 12 of them have been announced. One of them, most recently, is a game called Let's Build a Zoo, which was originally uh, dated to release on, or I should say, the leak said uh, October 28th. And it actually released, let me check here, on uh, November 5th. So it was a week off for this unannounced game at the time. So it's like, that's pretty good. It had, yeah, it done, it had this zoo game. Yeah, that, you know, it's just a small little game, but it was on the list wasn't announced now it's announced turns out the date was just a week off um and he said he said uh what did i say oh there have been 11 other unannounced games that have been announced since then so it's like that's you know nvidia literally said that this list is a real list in their system and now the question is is like how much of it is just pure speculation on their part um like are they just guessing Kingdom Hearts 4 is coming out then or has Square Enix actually told them, hey, we're working on Kingdom Hearts 4, you know, we ha- we're in your ecosystem, and this is like our planned release date in 2023. Like, that's not, that's plausible. So I think I think it's all just like plausible games and placeholder dates. So it's the stuff that's like Final Fantasy IX Remake. It's like, well, what's that? Like, well, here, here's why would NVIDIA why would NVIDIA randomly guess there's a Final Fantasy IX remake. Like, they had to stem from something, right? They they wouldn't just randomly throw it on there for no reason at all. Now, what the remake actually is, is it a remaster of some sort, a port? Is it, like, based... It has not anything to do with that new show that is a real thing? My, my guess is probably. Um, so there's... You know, it's worth keeping an eye on. I just wouldn't take any of it at, at like, truly at perfectly face value. In terms of dates, especially now, some some additional stuff that's kind of fun to speculate on is so it uses the phrase Final Fantasy IX remake currently listed for April 1st of 2022, if you must know. Um, but it also has three other remasters listed on here. It has a Chrono Cross remaster, 
listed for literally next month, December, which is like probably hmm. not happening. Yeah, but still, the fact that Chrono Cross Remaster is even on the list at all is like, wait, what? Uh, also on there is a uh, Tactics Ogre Remaster and a Final Fantasy Tactics Remaster, both listed for early next year, February and March. So you you do have to rem- remember that this list was originally leaked like a couple months ago. Also. Um, mm. So those dates might were like placeholders at the time and things always change, especially when they're not public. So, you know, it's, it's so very possible. Is... They just don't, they, they were changed or moved. Go ahead. Sorry. What was that? James just had a completely random thought last night, thinking about the fact that one of the new, uh, beast tribes in 14 is, uh, obviously inspired from another square Enix uh, franchise saga. Because the uh, elephant dudes are from Romancing Saga 2 or 3. Which one was it? 3. 3. Um, what if there's... Uh, um, nah, I'm not even going to say it. It's it's too out there. <laughs> no, you, have, just... you have to say it now. Yeah, you, you, you already preambled into this. What if one of the things is like from Chrono Cross or something? Yeah. Yeah, if what if one of the bosses is from Chrono Cross? Because like you look at the logo for Endwalker, and is it is that the moon or is that the planet? And what's <laughs> what's the like the all the almighty bad guy from the Chrono series? And what do they do? Um, <laughs> so in terms stars. of like the re- in terms of these remasters, like the, the Square Enix remasters themselves are very plausible. Like we just saw literally this year, Saga Frontier. And Legend of Mana um, from their PlayStation catalog. So, like, if you told me, yes, Square Enix is working on a Chrono Cross remaster, I'd be like, yeah, I believe you because they've released other remasters, and they even they've even stated, like, literally in their you know, uh, in their financial reports and like sort of strategy that like they want to re-release old games as literally for fine for investors is like as sort of ongoing revenue like and not they don't require the same development pipelines that new games do so like the fact that square enix is might be working on more remasters is totally believable it's the things that are like the dates that are like if there is a chrono cross remaster it's probably not coming out next month but if you told me like it might come out next summer, I'd be like, yeah, sure. That seems plausible. Like we didn't like, I'm just curious. When did we learn about legend of mana remaster? So that released in, um, let's see here. More early legend of mana released in June this year. And it was announced in February of this year. So like you could get a similar turnaround where they announce a chrono cross remaster, next or like you know february 2022 and it releases in summer like i could totally see that we literally just saw it with legend of mana it can happen and i think saga frontier was i think saga frontier was a similar like time not time frame but time duration where it it came out in april this year so just a few months before legend of mana but it was announced let me see here uh last november so you know just like a two-month shift basically um so i could see that happening with tactics or chrono cross sure if this means that final fantasy tactics finally gets a nice version like on pc or any anything that's not the mobile version or the or the hacked uh psp version like finally like that's we've been like begging for that for years now uh just play the playstation one version (laughs) (laughs) but i like i like the new i know some people swear by the old translation but i like the new translation much better i Um, i actually like the old one just because they don't 
like I don't know if people don't like it, but I just find that they sound not trying too hard. I feel like the new one it's trying too hard to sound. Yeah, like, it's it's a it's a little bit like more flowery. Uh, well, I, I'm a little bit biased because I played the um I've I've only played like in my hands the PSP version, and then I've just compared it like in screenshots or footage to the old version, and then I'm like, oh, it's different. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, but we'll hopefully get uh th- that on. I don't. I never want to be like take this list as gospel. These games are coming out, but if by the end of next year I'm playing a Final Fantasy Tactics version of the game, whether it's even just a port or a remaster on my PC, I will be very happy. So- and let me just be clear about one thing: when we post this list on our website. We're not like saying like, yes, we 100% believe that everything on this list is exactly what it's going to be and perfectly true. It's more just like, hey, this is an interesting thing to look at. And there's already been some, like I mentioned, some parts of it that have turned out to be, you know, at least in the ballpark of being true in terms of this game wasn't was leaked on this list before it was announced. So and NVIDIA literally said it was real, but speculative and speculative in some ways. So it's like, you know. Well, yeah, Unless well, you just assume they're completely guessing. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you're able to bring a little bit of context in terms of like 11 uh, games that were unannounced have been announced. Like, like substantiates it a bit. Now that doesn't mean therefore it is true, but mm-hmm. we'll let George know that Kingdom Hearts 4 is uh, less than two years out and see how he, <laughs> how he handles it. And that covers us for this edition of the podcast so uh thank you adam for talking so much about shin megami tensei 5 uh it sounds like a really compelling game that is both true to the series but also trying something that the studio has not known for and they've accomplished you know they've you know succeeded at what they set out to do both new and familiar for this game obviously it comes out on friday so we probably won't get a huge chance to really dive into it next week but uh i guess going into the week after at that point though we're really we're approaching the back half of the month so it might end up being that our first real opportunity to talk about this game at length in terms of where we think it uh you know stacks up for everything else in the year might end up being at the game of the year podcast so that is something that we are certainly uh, currently trying to suss out all of the logistics on. Uh, we are planning to get a large number of the site together to go through basically the list of games that were released this year and basically suss out a winner with something that we've done for the last several years. So nothing surprising or unexpected there, but it is you know starting to creep up on that time very quickly. Um, we be- yep. Uh, so we will th- we will certainly talk about this more at the Game of the Year podcast, but Endwalker moving into a December release date does mean that in considerations for our site, that it will be, it, we we go essentially November to November in terms of coverage, or December to November. So it'll, it will end up being uh, on the list for next year based on its new release date. Uh, the important MMO that might be better anyways, because it'll get honestly, like, yeah. continuing updates, you know, so... Well, not not even like continuing updates. Like even if a game like that released on what was the original date? November twenty second. Uh, sure. Uh, late late <laughs> November before the seventh. Like if, if we were going to meet like two weeks later and say like now let's judge how the quality of this giant MMO expansion here with, with less than a month. Like that's just not fair. You gotta like need to let it like you know steep a bit for just such a massive game. So. We'll we'll discuss that next year, and for this year, we get to instead uh, talk about the merits of Cyberpunk. Yeah, so, we <laughs> have to consider Cyberpunk in this year's Game of the Year uh, discussions because it came out last December, um, which will be kind of fun. Genuinely, admittedly, kind of awkward 
So <laughs> it'll be fun. We'll see. I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Okay. Look forward to it. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you can read up the uh, the Shin Megami Tensei Five review up on the site. Adam did a fantastic job. He put a ton of work into it. And I do know for those of us planning to grab it um, this upcoming weekend, uh, Adam does have a few drafts in the works for uh, some guides, some collectibles, some stuff like that. Um, you can find us uh, and all the news that we've posted up on our website at rpgsite.net. You can follow us on any of the social channels, um, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Just search for RPG site. We do have a Discord channel, uh, Discord server, discord.gg slash RPG site. You can also reach it from the link at the top of our homepage. And next week, we will hopefully get uh, Josh and or George back. And you will hear from us again then, as we typically always do. Until then, stay safe, take care. We'll see you next time.